tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Emma is producing today. Uh, coming up on the show this morning, Johnny Luby will join me to kick off the show in just a little while. We'll discuss that frightening incident involving Tipperary school students in Kilkenny. Tipperary GAA is set to receive an early Christmas present from J.P. McManus. The proposal to cull the deer population will be discussed further. And businesses claiming that shoplifting has become a pandemic will be explored. Our Friday panel will unpack the hot topics of the week, including visits to Santa, facial recognition uh, technology, and whether the church should be considered a sacred space. So uh, all of that and much, much more on the way this morning. You can text and WhatsApp. 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at the front pages. The Irish Daily Mail leading with the story that Ryan Tuberty's agent has said that the initial RTE statement on the payment scandal was designed to divert public attention from mismanagement, failures, and errors in Montrose. The Irish Times. And they're leading with the story that the European Union leaders have hailed as historic a decision to begin accession talks with Ukraine in a move that will uh, pave the way for the country to eventually join the bloc. Um, Right across the newspapers today, stories of the um, clubs around the country, the GAA clubs, that are delighted with themselves because thousands of clubs around the country will receive between 2,600 and 30,000 after the billionaire racehorse owner and gambler JP uh, gave 1 million to the county boards in each of the 32 counties. I mean, how generous is that in fairness? Also uh, interested to read on the Times today that the world's largest and oldest governing body for Irish dancing investigated three cases of alleged adjudicator corruption three years before allegations of widespread cheating were reported to the organisation. The Irish Examiner... And uh, their lead story, the HSE, has issued a stark warning to parents to cocoon new babies as it battles to tackle extraordinarily high levels of RSV and flu across the country. And once again, the story of uh, J.P. McManus's generosity on the front of the examiner today as well. The Irish Independent is dominated by a photograph of J.P. and the great uh, John Kiley as well after Limerick's uh, triumph in July. And a uh, very, very happy photograph there indeed. Um, the lead story on the Indo, the search and rescue base at Waterford risks being closed for up to six months next year. And that's due to challenges scheduling the training of crew during a changeover from one operator to another. So that's kind of worrying, isn't it? Anyway, that's a look at what's on the front pages today. Do you want to make comment on any of that? 83 311 Johnny Luby is with me. Good morning to you, Johnny. Uh, good morning, friend. How's it going, by? It's going very well indeed, Johnny. You know JP. I mean, this is remarkable generosity, isn't it? 
That's right, Jeff. And it's absolutely fantastic, really, for the county boards and the various uh, counties in Ireland. Uh, he certainly, uh, I suppose, looked it's like everything else. If he'd ever done a team this time around, people wouldn't have any comments to make. But the fact that he did it, of course, you had people coming on and they, uh, firing, I would call them, low shots. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Calling it a PR uh, stunt and... A PR yeah. stunt, yeah. Look, hey, J.P. McManus is a wonderful uh, person in every way. He's a tremendous employer. And, you know, I mean, many of the horse stables in Ireland and England and indeed in France, you know, and he has a lot of bad horses as well. Mm. Uh, they, they, they wouldn't survive were it not for the uh, generosity of J.P. McManus. You know, I've met him on a numerous occasions and he'd always say uh, to me, Johnny Luby, how are they all in Golden? <laughs> Uh, and that he used to say yeah. to a friend of ours uh, that dead uh, now a few years, Patsy Borden, he was a big builder. He said to Patsy one time, how did you end up sponsoring uh, Kilfeekland District or Kilfeekland District Rugby Club? And Patsy said, I sponsor him, he says, because nobody has heard of them. <laughs> so, uh, uh, look, we had, we had some wonderful times. I remember above in Jack Dawes Castle, uh, which is a big horse training place in England where John Joe Neal uh, trains out of and one morning we were there for a Cheltenham, maybe about 8 o'clock in the morning and did a huge burn. It's probably 150 yards long, like uh, the length of a hurling field and the horse is working and the whole lot. But there was one horse above the top end of the swimming pool and we were standing there and Patsy was talking to uh, a couple of lads and JP was over from them as well because they were going on to, we were going on to the races in Cheltenham but next thing was a splash. Patsy was after shoving me into the swimming pool, closed the whole time. <laughs> and uh, that was a uh, I came in then to the tumble dryer that they had and uh, I was uh, down to being completely naked and my hands up in the air and the warm breeze blowing around me and the whole lot. And Father Breen, a well-known character from uh, Kildare, uh, Father Breen looked in the door and uh, closed at the beach and he said to Patsy, the Lord Mercy, Patsy said, I'm sorry I was late for the christening. (laughs) uh, uh, Yeah, they were wonderful times, you know. And look, right, the the county board will all get a few quid and I have no doubt that every county board out there, they need a few pounds. Now, it's Pomeraica is probably going to go to the GA clubs, the Golden, Kilfeagle, the Anacartes, the Clenolties, yes. the Rose Greens, the Clarehands. Well, the ladies' football and camogie is in there as well. Which and is ladies' football and yeah. camogie, which is absolutely fantastic mm. for them because they all need an injection of a few pounds, you know, yeah. and I suppose the hard look about it is, is that the more clubs you have, the less each club it gets. It, but I was uh, looking this morning, Johnny, I think in Tipperary, clubs will get between seven and eight grand each, which is not to be sneezed yeah. at, you know. It's absolutely fantastic, yeah. you know, and I've no out with all the volunteers there and you know clubs out there they hold the lotteries every week and indeed they'll continue to do so it just helps to keep the show on the road you mm. know and look hey, uh, I can all I can say is a sincere thanks uh, mm. to the McManus family and, and uh, the charitable uh, organisation that mm. they're involved in I mean he has raised huge, huge money for the various charities all around and look I just yeah. say thanks very much and of course to, to his own team there in Limerick he's been so good to them and uh, the players and stuff you know it's amazing oh yeah right uh, yeah, and you know, and they're lucky that they have uh, what they have uh, uh, at the moment. Would I like to see them winning five all-ells in a row? Look, if we don't do it, I don't care whether they do it or not. If mm. they do it, it's brilliant. At least we have seen it in our lifetime because it's very hard, as we have discovered in Tipperary, to put back-to-back all-Irelands together. We haven't mm. done it since, uh, what did I see, 60, 
61 and 62, I'd say. Oh, we uh, oh. beaten in 60, oh, 64, 65, we won it, all right. But uh, then beaten in two finals, 67 and 8. And after that, then just uh, the one-man band won every decade, but so be it, you know. Yeah, for sure. But isn't it amazing, Johnny, and we will move on, but isn't it amazing you can't give away 32 million nowadays without offending somebody? <laughs> <laughs> That hit, Fran, yes. Yeah, Definitely offending somebody yeah, out there, you know. I know yeah. um, get it beyond the... Will we yeah, get to, to GAA then, Johnny? And, uh, Clamel, yes, Fran. Yeah, Clamel, do right, you want to start uh, with Clamel? Yeah. Congratulations yeah, to Clamel Commercials on winning the county on the 21A football final. Commiserations to uh, Capo White Gales. That game was played in Golden on Sunday last, and Commercials were favourites going in. And mm. Well done to them. And meanwhile, down in care in a... a, a tough going with the conditions the heavens open the rain and that and well done to uh, my Rover for the magnificent victory over ourselves Golden Kilfeagle in the under 21B uh, we've been beaten in two county finals but I suppose if somebody were to tell us for the year 2024 20, that we would get into a couple of county finals again listen you'll be delighted first of all to get that mm. out and of course naturally you'd want to of win course, that so that's yeah. what disappointed but we have a grand batch of youngsters coming up and fair play to them you know uh, I suppose friend one would certainly like to say a sincere thanks to Joe Kennedy. He was chairman of the county board for the last three years. Mm. A most lovely man to meet, always at time to ask how our team was down the year side of the neck of the woods and all of that. And was a, a very good chairman. I suppose in hard luck that we didn't win in all Ireland in the three years, but uh, Joe ran the office well. Looking at the uh, county board uh, officership friend last Sunday, it was unbelievable yeah. that uh, we put in a new chairman, but lo and behold, when it came to the vice chairman, there was 10 votes over or something to that effect. Uh, they were just saved those 200 people in the uh, in the centre. Mm. Uh, they had 210 votes. So that certainly grabbed the limelight and they have to go back and do postal votes and all of that. It's, it's a pity that it has, that, that has wow. worked out that way. Yeah. But look, hey, uh, they have to so have what, are, what has to happen, Johnny? That has to be done again then, has it? It has to be done again with a postal vote, from ah, what I gather. Okay. Now, I'm not into the, the rules and laws and regulations of running uh, uh, these these uh, officerships yeah, and that. Yeah. But it's just a pity that it had to happen on county board the final day and that's the way it is. But it mm. will be done right, I'd safely mm. say, from now on. The best of luck to the new chairman as well. Uh, I suppose, friend, on the uh, horse racing front, of course, it's advertised on KPFM. They have a huge day in Tullus on mm. Sunday next afternoon at 12 o'clock. It's their biggest meeting of the year. They have six or seven or eight races, all top class between hurdles, chases and, of course, bumper races as well. And they will have a bumper crowd there. So I, all I say to everybody is, is go early, enjoy the festivities, of music, food, crack after racing and everything else. So Tullus is the place to be on Sunday, uh, this Sunday, uh, uh, the, out there beyond uh, the GA Centre on mm. the uh, Bursley Road. So the best of luck to them with their uh, meeting on Sunday. In the rugby final, of course, last weekend, Munster got beaten. That was a huge shock to the system. Mm. We hadn't a full team out, I know, with injuries. But from what I got of the opposition, the French buys, they only came uh, uh, with half a team as such and drew with us and were probably lucky enough to get the draw in the, in the end. Now we have to travel to Exeter this weekend and it's... Uh, a winner-take-all, because if we're beaten in my book, we're possibly out of it, but seemingly we have a full team ready, and I hope Jim was down the man from New In, uh, mm. captain's team, it'll be a brilliant game at the weekend, so the best of luck to them. Mm. Forgive my ignorance, uh, this is the Heine- Heineken Cup, isn't it, John? Heineken Cup, Heineken, that's right, yeah, Jeff, right. Right. that's the, yeah. the, the big one. Yeah. Uh, 
And that, of course, then last weekend you had a Cash Lanina winning both their games. Nina lead by four or five points in the second, in the two A. But uh, tomorrow, uh, which is Saturday at two thirty in Spearfield and Cash Lanina, it's the Tipperary Derby. Nina take on Cash in Spearfield in Cash at uh, two thirty. There'll be a huge crowd mm. there, mm. Uh, and that Nina have lost no game yet. They're absolutely flying, but. Cash will seem to have to hold you over them for the last maybe six or seven years and look the best of luck to both teams. Sure, but, yeah. uh, I think we're broadcasting that, are we, Johnny? I think we're, that's right, yeah, yeah, Frank, yeah. that's live on Tip FM and they mm. are placed in for bringing it to the households in Tipperary mm. uh, and that uh, it all system going there. And of course, Clanville have been top look for the last two weekends, beating a pint or two in games that they could have won and uh, it's about time now that they actually picked up the pints tomorrow when they play in a Scarty uh, above in uh, Clanmel as that game goes ahead at 2.30 but I suppose friend, for ourselves the biggest game of all is the All-Ireland semi-final of the NLG Junior Cup uh, we're the only Tipperary team to have won this cup so far beaten in the final and winning the final three years ago they take on uh, belly clear of uh, Ulster champions that game is on in Morrissey Park in Kilfeagle or the hill as well as it is known as uh, that game goes ahead at 2 o'clock so there will be a huge crowd mm. in Kilfeagle tomorrow and hopefully we'll all get there um, I suppose friend yeah uh, you'll probably have Albert Puzzle I think it's on from Nina uh, the for the tractors yeah. for the tractors yeah. it's possibly the, now I know Care had a huge one and I know Clanmel and Carrick and Shaw absolutely brilliant but Nina in my book uh, is the place to be uh, that's on, on Saturday the 23rd mm. that, that's tomorrow week 5.30 at least from the Liffey Mills uh, it's bigger and better every year I've never seen the like of it and of course the charities are the artistic units in Nina and uh, the Billy Golden recovery. So the best of luck to them. I hope friends to get to Philly Ride's Pope where Shane McGraw uh, drank a pint or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, on, you, you'll on, go up there to, to toast him, will you? I will, yeah. yeah and to yeah. sit down where he did sit down. So the best of luck uh, to them. But you'll have Albert Postle on. Uh, the week, Frank, yeah, he's I coming on on Monday, that. I think, as far as I know. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think oh, so. Brilliant, yeah, yeah, a great guy. Yeah. And of course, him and Gaynor, all them lads are involved. He's the son of Lynn Gaynor, that great temporary yeah. holiday. They're all involved. Fred, some of them can give a full, maybe two to three weeks at uh, lighting up their tractor. Oh, it's sure not a case yeah. that you can put it on in a half an hour or whatever. And except it gets bigger and better every year. That oh, is unbelievable. Fantastic, yeah. we, we see, we nobody might... says no to Albert Purcell. That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we just might get a, 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 a chance there to call to uh, out to the silver mine. The bodies in Caparoo oh, and out yeah. to Hickey's yeah. in the silver mine. Uh, wonderful watering holes. Uh, you had Dr. Pat on during the week and he was talking about the leaf blower. And friend, by a strange uh, coincidence, I was after reading an article that did say that the leaf blowers are desperate uh, health... Uh, Go on. Are you serious? Yeah. Health well, hazards? Yeah. yeah. Health, right. uh, health hazards. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Seemingly the noise is out of them and you're damage you're doing and all of that. But so, Johnny, they're totally way. stupid. Why would you go out there with a leaf blower? It's 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 autumn winter, like, for God's sake. That's know? right, Jeff. And I, I was doing it one day at the bottom of the house. I blew all the leaves out. This car came up the road about 60 miles an hour and blew the whole lot back in. And I need to tell you, friend, he, I gave the whole green fire <laughs> on that seat. Do you oh, have one of them, Johnny? Uh, no, I... I, I you borrowed it. Uh, help. 
Yeah, I was helping out too. I was helping out an elderly person. But anyway, friend, uh, yeah. tomorrow night, please God, we have uh, Tim Nets in drum band. Uh, spin the wheel is on there. It's a big thing. So hopefully we'll get there. And uh, mm. of course, the Bridge House, friend, they mm. have their party next Thursday night. And they did uh, extend, uh, I was going to say, sympathy to you. Mm. <laughs> Best wishes to you. And hopefully you might be able to call there. Uh, Shawnee said yourself and Muriel and maybe myself on Thursday night next. At their Christmas party, they have the Thoroughlands of their party on tonight. And of course, Fred, you ever come across them vets in cash with Patsy O'Connor and Gary sure, O'Connor? I know, I know them since I was a kid. Uh, great, yeah, great people, like great families. Yeah, yeah. I met Patsy on the road today. Patsy was one of the finest tolls ever to come out. The Donna Red Jersey of Cashel, yeah, and was a wonderful indeed. rugby player, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a magnificent golfer. Mm, uh, yeah. Uh, nearly a millionaire, <laughs> and uh, I hope the taxman isn't listening to that. <laughs> right on top of all that, he's a wonderful singer, and that yeah. comes from a guy called uh, Jack Burton over there on the Killinall uh, by Kirky Borderland. Uh, every Thursday, Patsy, when he gets a couple of drinks in, he sings a few songs above in that wonderful place, the venue in Dundrum, mm. where uh, the golf on a Thursday probably over 60s. But every time I meet Patsy, you know, I think of his dad. Tommy O'Connor, the Lord Melston from Dangan in Golden. Mm. And uh, years ago, I was looking for, I tell you that, canvassing for TJ Maher and went off mm. with Tommy Connors to uh, the, the Black Forest in some place between Germany and France. Yeah. And uh, we had a wonderful time. And of course, we went to Mass on the Sunday morning out there. And Tommy Connors, the Lord Melston, said to me after about a quarter of an hour, he whispered over to me, he said, I think this is a Hebrew Mass. <laughs> Jesus, Tommy, I said, I don't know. I said, how do you reckon to the Hebrew mess? Hey, he said, did you see any basket going around? <laughs> I said, no, no, Tommy, I did And Brian, I was only a young man at the time. I said, I was too long married. Maybe I was about 23 or 4 years of age. But these trams, of course, they had them out there in whatever country we were in, the trams that you jump on and all that thing, you know. And Tommy was amazed at me. I was able to jump on the trams and get off there in some places. Tommy used to say, what did that cost? I said, nothing. I said, only a quick pair of legs. <laughs> jump off as fast as you jump on. And of course, Fred, you have listeners there this morning, the Coney sisters in Grantstown in Kilpeakle, Freddie mm. and Sadie, the twins. Uh, their birthday is today, so we extend them. Happy birthday and good health to them. And we're hoping to go up to our sister's place up in Glastrican. Uh, Where's that? It's, someplace, it's up near, uh, to, too far away from Temple Derry, oh. Silver Mines and all that area. They have a shop there and uh, a pub as well. And oh. I have to get there, friend, because it's on my shopping list along with uh, uh, the North mm. above and Ross Bray. Never got to them during the year. And there's another one out there in... Uh, as you go from Tullus to uh, Temple Moor, uh, Clan, I don't, not Clan Moor, there's another place down here, I can't think of it, but mm. look, they're on the shopping list anyway. Uh, and that's so, yeah, friend. Yeah. You want to be very careful because they're going to introduce facial recognition now, very soon, John. <laughs> and that means that we'll know everywhere you are at all times. You know that, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, Catherine, Catherine will have access to it, so you want to oh, be... Geez, no, look, hey. <laughs> she has facial recognition now every bloody moment. But, uh, yeah, Frank, uh, look, it is like at that time of the year. I'm hoping to get in on Friday morning next uh, to Tip FM, please, oh, right. Clan Bell. I have, a couple of things, I have a couple of things uh, uh, to do with Clan Bell, so I said we'd put it back until uh, uh, Friday morning. And, of yeah. course, Frank, it is that time of year, uh, and that's when we look back, I suppose, for many.
many people that have lost loved ones during the year. You know, it's sure. a hard time of yeah. the year, you know, and uh, that you see the Tipperary GA book is out uh, there at the moment. And when you look through the back pages, there must be 25 or 30 pages of loved ones that were deeply involved in the GA that uh, died uh, there during the year. You know, it is hard to believe that they are gone from our midst. I never knew until I browsed through that Big Burns, that wonderful hurler from the rogue leader, played wing back for Tipperary. Big Burns was Tony Wall and Lynn Gaylor was all yeah. a strong half back line that Big Burns died during the year, you know. Yeah. You know, when I browsed through it. And then, of course, my brother-in-law, Jim Sandy, got mm. a lot of mercy on him. What a man as well, you know. He ran a, a, a great show and, mm. and a wonderful character, you know. And that, I remember one morning we went into the Bally Castine, you know. Uh, we were working on the race course uh, at that, that time. And we went into Bally Castine for the breakfast. And Jim loved uh, the smoked salmon. Mm. And your man left out, I'd say, enough for about 10 people. But Jim took it all in one go because he was a big man. And I said to him, what about the rest of them? Jim and the smoke salmon. He said, they'll get up early in the morning. Early or still in the morning, he said, to get smoke salmon. But he was one of those great lads. You know, oh, and fellas find it very happy. And his wife, uh, when we'd be telling the story about Jim, uh, they'd say, that's the first time I felt that. You know, we kept it all. Which uh, was the great. Uh, sure, that's, that's how people get remembered all the time, you know, by telling the story. Yeah, yeah, and only if yeah. we're talking about all them, you know, and the yeah. people that died there, we think the decks that they were the youngsters up the mountain road know, in Clanville and, you know, the uh, wooded castle and look, hey, and, as we're talking about it, hopefully our students there from Ross Gray yeah. that uh, were visiting Kitty and the drivers of Port Vegas. Yeah, they were very lucky. They were okay. very, very lucky indeed, Johnny. Nellie O'Connor was on to us, Johnny, and she said, why aren't you mentioning the main gig that's happening? And that's, of course, tomorrow night in Golden. I was just going to finish up with that. Friend. Yeah. Uh, you must always have the soccer punch. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you're playing in the, that wonderful hall in Golden yeah, uh, tomorrow great. night. Four know. hours of uh, dancing and nibbles, I'm told. What the hell is a nibble? <laughs> uh, yeah, Billy told me confidentially. <laughs> Billy gave a table the other night. <laughs> hey, I better go before I say you, you better go indeed. All right, Johnny. Great to, great to talk to you. Look after yourself. Thanks, we'll see man. you next week. Hey, bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks very much. Bye bye. And that's uh, the great Johnny Luby there, as usual. And yes, we will be in uh, Golden tomorrow night. There, very special Christmas party. Four hours of dancing. Uh, myself and Muriel and the band Unity as well. So uh, that's kicking off tomorrow night at about half past eight in Golden. So looking forward to that. Um, Johnny might give a mention to the Gartner Who Community Hall. They're holding a special Christmas bingo in the hall tomorrow the 16th at four o'clock. The doors opening at three o'clock and €4,000 in prize money there. Everybody is welcome. James was on to say, good God, Fran, if Johnny was helping out an elderly person, by comparison to him, how old was... <laughs> <laughs> the other person. All right. Uh, could you wish Bally Mac ladies the very best of luck in the All Ireland Club final tomorrow, captained by Aileen Wall, primary school teacher in Powerstown? Well, the very, very best of luck indeed, and thank you uh, for that. Okay, lots more coming into us, and I'll bring it to you in just a little while. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, as Ali told you during news, uh, students from a school in North Tip were involved in a rather scary incident in Kilkenny yesterday. Eight children and two teachers 
teachers who were travelling towards Kilkenny from Kilosh to Fubble Ross Grey were taken to St Luke's in Kilkenny. Now the accident happened on the N77 at Ardloo and local county councillor for the area is Pat Fitzpatrick who joins me now. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning to you. And uh, thanks very much indeed for coming on with us today. You're quoted in the paper yourself today as saying that it was a miracle that there were no fatalities, Pat. Oh, listen, look, at when I first learned of the accident yesterday, I don't live about, I live a number of miles away from it, but uh, I'd be the local councillor, so I headed to the scene. And I'll tell you, as a parent, uh, my stomach was churning because I knew there was a school bus in it. I knew there was kids on it. (laughs) I just didn't know what we were facing. But I have to say, it was truly, truly a miracle. Somebody was looking down on these kids uh, and and their teachers. But uh, again, can I just preface my remarks by wishing them all uh, a real speedy recovery from the trauma and everything. I know I checked last night uh, uh, around 8 or that, uh, and there was one student and a teacher left at St. Luke's Hospital, and I think the rest of them had returned home. I know both drivers, uh, one was taken and airlifted to hospital very seriously injured. He went to Tala Hospital and then uh, the other driver was taken to Tullamore. But uh, can I just say, it was the speed that the emergency services kicked in. The emergency plan literally kicked in. Everyone was on the scene within minutes. Uh, everyone cooperated. When I got to the scene, I spoke to the assistant fire chief who was in charge there and to the cha- sergeant in charge of Angardish Yukana and they both briefed me and everything was being done. The ambulance, air ambulance was there from Atlone. It was a military air ambulance mm. that was there from Atlone. It was on the ground, was getting, they got the patient. The students then left to the, to go in by ambulances and everyone kicked. But again, it was truly a miracle because so, yeah. this N77, it's a, 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 this happened literally on the bridge, on the mouth of the bridge on the Ballyragget side. But the road between Hennebury's Cross and Old Town Valley Ragged, which is a, a long stretch of road, has been, uh, we've been plagued with accidents and we've yes. literally been, now not just me, all public representatives, I want to be fair to everyone, uh, because all public have been cla- asking for this to be upgraded and to... Uh, to uh, and is uh, it the work. bridge is the problem, Pat? I'm just looking at a photograph of it here and it looks like only one vehicle at a time can, can move. Well, if you have two cars meeting, yes, uh, fine, but on the bridge now, standing even yesterday, like you look ahead there, there's no no way two trucks would meet. One would have to wait, or a bus and a truck. So look at what I'm looking at is uh, TII, uh, Transport Infrastructure yeah. Ireland, to get involved very, very, very quickly. We have the forensic peep, uh, information coming back from Angarda Shukana. They were there all afternoon. The, the road didn't reopen until uh, 5.35 yesterday evening, uh, and they they will be producing a, a full report. I want uh, Kilkenny County Council engineers uh, and TII to look at putting some safety barriers uh, on the left-hand side and, and, and other uh, safety issues but also then they need to revisit what's happening with this road because there is regularly there's accidents on this road not necessarily on the bridge but on that stretch of road. And did the accident, I mean, again I'm trying to, to look at the photograph here, did the accident happen on the bridge or just off the bridge? Um, if you're coming from uh, the, 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 uh, what you'd say is the mouth of the bridge okay. the, bus, okay. the bus and the truck and I was there the, the truck was just exiting off the bus the tractor unit was just exiting off the bridge and the, tra- and the trailer was still on the bridge and the bus was coming into the bridge ah, okay. uh, and that is literally there uh, and there but look at uh, much much more important is to can I commend the school and the way they, they, they got into action as well and 
the teachers and the pupils and, and everything. So, uh, you know, look, at it was a, a great effort on a terrible, terrible day. Yes. Uh, and again, to wish the, the school and the, the staff and the management, because I know they issued a statement last night, uh, uh, you know, that hopefully everyone will be OK. The trauma and the supports that are being provided for, for, for the students and their families. Yes, there's psychological important. supports in place, Absolutely. I know, as we speak, Pat. So, yeah. Look, but, yeah, and I, I want to commend everyone on that. But again, as I said, the emergency services mm. that really kicked in and the importance of having a good uh, emergency plan that everyone works together. Even the senior officers that were there, the assistant fire chief was there all mm. day. Spoke to him very early after the accident and I spoke to him last night just before he left the scene as well as the road was about to reopen. Mm. Uh, and, and again, the members of Angarda Shikana were there. Our own council staff and the fire brigade staff, they left nothing, nothing uh, to, to yeah, well, well, on, on programmes like this, Pat, and I'm sure you're well aware of the same in Kilkenny, you know, we're often critical of services, but I mean, what yeah. a response and, you know, a very timely response. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and look, at and politicians are good to criticise yeah. people and things, and that's why I absolutely, I, I, I just watched in awe of how they worked. Yeah. And look, they could have faced anything, and all these children, you know, and what the, the, the information that was fed out properly and not, you know, because you don't need parents and grandparents and worrying yeah. how is yeah. such and such when they're such a long distance away because going on these trips and we love people coming to Kilkenny there's so mm. many good things about Kilkenny from the you know the whole city to the county to the Discovery mm. Park in Castlecomer and all that uh, and we love people but we want mm. them to be safe and all that and that's the way people put people, course, their yes. sons and daughters on that bus S- to be safe sadly yesterday. sadly, Pat is this what you needed in some way to sort of trigger <sighs> something being done about Look this area um, here you know well um, is this no it's not what we need none of us need an accident but we certainly need need action and you know there's been a long number of uh, incidents and yeah. accidents on, on that stretch of road that I mentioned uh, and, and certainly we need TII to take a real serious look at and we need to, to find a better solution Alright, so Pat, really good to talk to you today and we appreciate your time. Thank you, good morning to you. Thank good morning to you. That Thank is you. a local county councillor there in the Ardaloo uh, area, in a fall county councillor, in fact, uh, Pat Fitzpatrick speaking to us this morning and we wish uh, all of uh, the young people and indeed the, the teachers the very, very best where that is concerned. Um, Alright, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie well, Tipperary GAA is set to receive a welcome Christmas present. Uh, JP McManus is set to donate an incredible €1 million Euro to every county in Ireland for investment in all codes of Gaelic games. The figure of €1 million will dwarf the 100000 donated by McManus to every county board in a rather similar gesture, I suppose, back in 2018 in the wake of Limerick's first All-Ireland uh, senior hurling success. Um, a friend of the show, uh, John O'Shea, a sports commentator, former chairman of the West Board, joins me now. John, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Great to talk to you, John. Um, this is incredible, isn't it? It is, and you know, it's great news uh, for rural communities and rural clubs and urban clubs as well coming up to Christmas, you know, and, 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 and a wonderful gesture. And as you said, <clears throat> it dwarfs the contribution that he made in 2018 when, I suppose, Every club in Tipperary around that time, they got around thirteen fifty to four fourteen hundred mm. euros each. You know, mm. I suppose the beauty of this, uh, uh, Fran, is 
there are no administrative costs taken out of of the the, the, the donation. Right. Like while the the county board, the GA county, the county board will administer this fund and distribute it, but there will be no administrative fee. So everything goes to the clubs in each of the counties, <clears throat> and I suppose there's a lot of figures bandied about there. Uh, because, but they would only be sort of average mm, figures. But mm. like, just for example, uh, the Cork County uh, clubs in Cork in the, in the the ladies, the Gaelic football, the Camogie, and the GA, they'll get around two and a half, between two and a half and three thousand. Mm. Uh, whereas in Tipperary, the clubs will get around seven thousand average, and then you take it up up to lead from there around twenty two or twenty three thousand. Cal or the same, probably Sligo around thirty thousand. Because it depends on the number of clubs, of the clubs, total number yes. of clubs yeah. in each of the three organisations you have within the county, Fran. And that's why there is discrepancies uh, in the clubs, like in the various counties. Mm. Mm. But of course, I mean, whatever, I'm sure clubs will be absolutely delighted with this. Is there any stipulation around how this is to be spent or what it's to be spent on, John? <clears throat> Well, you see, there is there is a letter. Uh, the, so the checks have already gone out to some of the counties anyway. And have they? Received wow. by some, yes. Mm. And I know of one county yesterday who, who received the check, and there was a letter attached to it, you know, that he was pleased to enclose on behalf of Noreen, the children, and himself, mm. a check to the value of a million as a donation from our foundation to be eventually divided and distributed amongst the GA, Camogie, and Ladies Football. And he spoke about the joys that success at county level brings on and off the field and how it enchances uh, the spirit and, you know, camaraderie and confidence of communities, both rural and urban. <clears throat> but then a, there is a letter attached to it again, to that, uh, from the foundation, and it sets out the criteria associated with the use of the donation. So it is going to the grassroots, and that's, mm. that's, that's, uh, that's the main thing, um, Fran. Mm. That, that, but I'm just wondering, uh, could it be used, for instance, to help pay off loans, or is it about investment in the premises or the picture? What, do, do you know what I mean, John? I don't know the exact uh, details yeah. of that letter, but I would say it would be sort of... Could be of, to be of benefit to the local people anyway. I yes. would imagine that yeah. because he he would be a <clears throat> while his first love is 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 GA and he'd be a community man mm. uh, that thing. But and he probably he sees the benefits of those clubs, the three clubs. So now there are other clubs in communities. Let's not let's not of course, uh, of course, jump yeah. on the bandwagon on yeah. that one. <clears throat> but this is his way. Mm. Someone else might come along and make a donation to in the future, maybe to to take in hockey and rugby mm. and soccer or something, mm. you know. But this is his generosity and, and his foundation contributing to, to, obviously, the sports that he loves, you know. Of course, and, and, and why not? Are you surprised that there's some negativity out there calling it a PR stunt? I mean, as, as I said to Johnny Luby, John, um, you can't even give away 32 million these days without offending somebody. Look, if I knew, no, there's always somebody going to be a critic and trying to... Look, that... that Wicklow TD yesterday, the Social Democrat, what yeah. it, Jennifer Whitmore, mm. she suggested on Twitter there that it would be better if he contributed more to the Irish Exchequer. Mm. You know, what a load of waffles. Uh, you know, mm. this man, he's a resident of Switzerland. Mm. <clears throat> That's where his business is. His hobbies are here in Ireland. And, uh, you know, he imp uh, his hobbies, mm. you know, they, they, 
contribute to an awful lot of employment all over Ireland and in the UK. And so he, he, I mean, he, he's bringing the Ryder Cup. He brought the Ryder Cup here, for he God's did. sake. You know? And you know what? That alone made in the region of around 140 million, which was given to charitable causes mm. around the Midwest region. Mm. There's a huge amount of stuff that that man does that never publicised. for sure, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, you know, you take the hospices around. Yeah. So th- to suggest like that this is a PR stunt, it's it's an insult, and it's an insult to people's intelligence. Mm. Uh, well, man, he, you know? he doesn't need a PR stunt. Sure he doesn't. No. Because I mean, he's a very he quiet fella. He doesn't push <clears throat> himself out there all that much, does he? He does his own thing. <clears throat> he does his own thing. His hobby, he, 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 his love is Gaelic games. Mm. His hobby is racing. Mm. And... Amongst other things, probably a bit of golf and whatever. Mm. And the family are involved in all this, you know. Mm. He doesn't want. He doesn't want. It's not a PR stunt. He's not a, you know, yeah. j- jumping on, on on bandwagons and stuff like that. He decided he, how he came to that. Yeah. That's only he knows. He decided he's going to make a contribution, uh, and uh, the beneficiaries are going to be, as I said, the, t- the three organisations. Now, because I see an awful lot of people think <clears throat> that. They are three separate organisations. Yes, yeah, yeah. An awful lot of people don't realise The that. ladies' football, the camogie, and the, the GAA, then. Is that yeah, it, and John? They'll talk, yeah. and they'll talk about integration. Yeah. You know, eventually it will happen, but I can see it's, it's, it's not going to happen in the short term because I think uh, the two ladies' organisations have to amalgamate first mm. because it's not a question of just coming up next Monday we'll all be one because you have a huge, huge amount of... Uh, uh, property vested in the GA and all the GA mm. grounds around the country I'd say 95, 99% of them are vested in the GA and are held in trust mm. by trustees uh, every GA club of trustees involved in it these are all registered with the land registry and stuff like that, there are legal implications so you just can't come in and <clears throat> and you know at the stroke of a pen amalgamate the three organisations Mm. You know, there's, there's huge preparatory work to be done. Now, this gesture from uh, J.P. McManus <clears throat> is sort of just covers over that. As I said in Tipperary, they'll probably get around 6,800, 7,000 each of the clubs, <clears throat> which will be welcomed, mm. by the way, and mm. especially by, you know, a lot of these girls, these clubs, them camogies, and by locally, they might be under the wing of the local um, GAA thing and they use the facilities and the whole lot but they still have fundraising to do themselves and then there are probably standalone camogie clubs and standalone Gaelic football clubs not attached to any GA club maybe only to use the field to play matches or something like that so that will be a welcome to them they won't have to be going out packing bags in the supermarket there on Christmas Eve or the days before us to raise money. Of you know, course, that's not which, way, which, which is fantastic. John, how instrumental, I mean, we, you know, it looks like Limerick at the moment, uh, senior hurling there is a, like a runaway train of success. How important was JP to the success of Limerick? I suppose he, he, he definitely contributed in a huge way too. Now, and it wasn't just... <coughs> You know, it was going back over a number of years, you see. You see, yeah. success doesn't come overnight. There has to be preparatory work. And they were working away behind the scenes. Now, there was coaches in. It takes money to run an organisation and to run a county. But money alone doesn't win you all Ireland. Right. And I think, you know, because you have to have the players, you have to have sort them out, you have to have the dedicated coaches. It's a long process. You remember... Limerick were what? Since 1973 to 2018. 
without winning in all Ireland. You know, and somewhere mm-hmm. back along, probably 10, 15 years before 2018, somebody had the, the, the you know, the forethought to put in practice, you, you know, that would benefit him in the future. And it doesn't, as I said, it doesn't, success doesn't come overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we saw the Dublin team back there and to the present day, and they won what five or six All Ireland in the front. But they had gone a number of years as well without of winning All Ireland. And John, is there, as you know, I'm not a sporty, so I'm kind of looking at it from the outside. Is there an element of kind of luck coming together in terms of you have a golden period of amazing players at the same time? If you know what I mean? Yeah, that <clears throat> that is that is correct as well. You know, about Limerick back in the forties has a golden area. Tip had it in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kilkenny had it there lately. So like. All those counties, success comes to them. Now, every now and then you'll have a county coming up and they'll win one All-Ireland and they're probably happy to do it. Then you have other counties and they, you know, they, they can't win and they can't buy an All-Ireland. And so it, 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 mm-hmm. it depends an awful lot on leadership within the county, but not leadership on the year that they win the All-Ireland, but leadership probably course, 15 yeah. years before that, uh, uh, Fran, mm-hmm. you know. And have we... Uh, have we something in place that you can see at the moment that would lead us to believe that in the future that we could enjoy some of the success we saw in the 60s, John? Yeah, we're, we're putting it in place. I don't think we have it in place yet in Tipperary now. Yeah. Uh, you know, like there is... What we did back over the last 10 or 15 years uh, hasn't been good enough and it hasn't brought the success that we taught here in Tipperary. Mm. And we talk about underage success. But winning at under 14 and 16 is no guarantee to go, to, that will, you know, transpose itself up yeah. to the senior element because it won't. And there's, there's no, there was a, a, when Minor was um, uh, under 18 up to a few years ago, there was a, a very interesting statistic, uh, Fran, that, you know, this, um, the, for, the Forestal Cup there, the All Ireland under 14 mm, uh, mm. Uh, counties. But any team that ever won that, Never won the the minor. That's a, a won the All Ireland. That never won it. The All Ireland at minor when minor was eighteen. Wow. So that'll tell you. Wow. That'll just tell you the difference in between. And, and you know, the winning yeah. winning tournaments uh, with development squads doesn't guarantee success as you go up the line. Sometimes maybe not winning them. It can you can you can learn an awful lot of of, of there used to be a thing there that. When Kilkenny were, were, might, were, might learn more about lads that lose a Leinster minor final rather than win a minor All-Ireland. You know what I'm saying? That's you can see the mentality of guys and, and that. But, what, you, know, what, you, you can measure their resilience then and their commitment and passion. Is that, is that, is that what you mean, John? You can, yeah. And like, <clears throat> we often saw a, a good um, minor in Kilkenny and maybe an under-21 player. Mm. And you wouldn't see him maybe again. He wouldn't come onto the scene of him until he's 23 or 4. That has happened. And he, but obviously they're being watched at the mm. local mm. level and how they're performing with their clubs along. But because there's no point in having guys on teams now and going on, on, on forum that they had two years ago. Like, you have to be... Uh, it's a great example there was it the, the 2014 All-Ireland and the drawn game Tip and Kilkenny the famous one the famous uh, Bubbles mm. last puck of the mm. game like the, mm. the, the the first one the, the this um, new technology that came mm. in and his long range attempt for, for I think was a, a judge to have been wide like mm. you know by Hawkeye mm. I think it was the first one of Hawkeye but from the 
from the, the, the drawn game to the replay, which was what, I think at that time it was three weeks later, there was a huge change in the, in the Kilkenny team. Like, and that was just, like, Cody saw something there and then in that game. That, and he was thinking, right, we have three weeks' time to do it. And there was changes made to the team, and ultimately they won it. Like that was just an example. So, of, amazing, of, but but there's a great hurling brain, I, I suppose, John, <laughs> somebody who could analyse that and know what was required. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. But yeah. I suppose you know, getting back to your your original question mm. there about does money uh, guarantee success? It doesn't, mm. but it helps a lot. And if you have a, ben- a benefactor, like and fair play to, to Limerick, they mm. captured that there was a there was a. a, a a chance there, but they, he, he, they were lucky that he was also a passionate GA man, you see. Which is that, so important, see, the, yeah. the, the people, you see, might pour money into stuff, and they might know that a lot of that money could go down the drain. So, that if you if you have a benefactor there that's that knows what's required, and that knows the, the workings of it, and mm. the inroads of it, and I wouldn't think that any of that money that, that he contributes to the running of Limerick GA is squandered or wasted. I'm, I'm, I'm it goes sure, where it's meant to go. I'm sure it is, indeed. John, I must leave it there, but a real pleasure as always to talk to you. And if I don't see you before Christmas, John, a happy Christmas to you and your family. Thank you. Same to you, Fran. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. John O'Shea there, sports commentator, of course, former chairman of the West Board as well. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. Text WhatsApp 083 311 and the email is tip today at uh, tipfm.com. My old friend Liam was on to say, Franz, a Tipperary man living in Kilkenny. I don't care if Lemerick Harlers win 10 in a row. At least Tipperary stopped Kilkenny's five in a row. Woohoo, he says, up tip. He also goes on to say that the uh, bridge in question where that um, uh, bus and truck crash happened yesterday has been a disaster for years. As one that uh, travels that bridge every day, all the councillors for many years have been asleep uh, at, uh, where this is concerned. It's extremely dangerous and also a dangerous bridge in Castle Comer. And um, it looks like statues in Kilkenny, says Liam, are more important than humans and than human life. 0833113311. Now, as Vice Chairman of the Waterford Regional Game Council and uh, Deer Hunter, does Richie Hickey support the recommendations made by the Irish Deer Management Strategy Group and indeed the implementation of a cull as soon as possible. Well, let's find out because he joins me now. Richie, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Really good to talk to you today. Uh, Richie, what what are you making of this from the strategy group? Um, I suppose, to be honest about it, most of the, the deer uh, stalkers in, in, in the country at the moment are in the dark. We, we're not... We're getting very limited information about this group and 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 about how they're going to their strategy and how they're going to roll it out. Um, we were aware that the Minister for Agriculture, Food and Marine, Charlie McConnell, had had set up this due to uh, an outcry from politicians around complete around the country and in particular the areas which are they're considering the hot spot. Mm. Uh, you have Wicklow and you have Galway, Tipperary, Waterford. Um, but we're really in the dark about what 
what's happening. To be quite honest about it, I'm I'm the vice chairman of Water Regional Game Council, who uh, we're affiliated to the National Association of Regional Game Councils, the NARGC. Um, the minister and this group have completely ignored and haven't sought um, the NARGC or any representatives to come on board. Um, Are you serious, Richie? Yeah, no, that's 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 genuine. And the NARGC have have over twenty six thousand members. Here in Waterford, we have 500 members. In Tipperary, you've got um, the South and North Tip Regional Game Council. They're, they're split into two regional game councils that are affiliated to the NERGC. And they've had and looked for no input whatsoever. So we're really into that. We haven't a clue what's going on. And so you have no idea how this would be impl- implemented if it's decided upon, for example, because I guess it's people like you and your colleagues will be called upon. This, this, this is the worrying part about it. Are we going to be completely ignored? Are they going to be bringing in people from outside? I suppose the burning questions are, you know, how are they going to implement this, number one? Who's going to be, who's going to be doing the calling, number two? Where are the deer that they're going to call be disposed of? Have they got a market for them? How, what are, how are they going to dispose of them? Then you have a lot of um, deer stalkers, not myself in, in particular, but you've got a lot of deer stalkers throughout the country that pay for Quilta lettings, pay a handsome amount of money to Quilta to shoot deer on Quilta ground. Now, Quilta will dictate exactly how many deer you can shoot and they've got to be tagged, and it's a very, very small number. But these these people, these, these deer stalkers are paying substantial amounts of money. Yeah, I heard so, that uh, on the programme yesterday. One of our listeners told me about that, Richie. I couldn't believe one, one person was paying €14,000. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It, 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 um, up in Wicklow, you can pay any type of money because you can shoot reds, you can shoot hybrids, you can shoot monkshack, same in Donegal. But uh, are the, is culling going to take place in those areas where these people have paid massive amounts of money uh, and, and they're also in the dark about what's, what's going to happen? We haven't a clue. I was reading somewhere that 50,000 deer, or more than 50,000 were culled it's, last year, were killed anyway last year. Would, it's, it's, would that be correct? There's an average of 55,000. Like, every deer stalker has to, when they, when they make an application for, um, we'll say, in 2024, when I make my application, I have to complete there's, there's the different types of deer. You have red, you have uh, Sika, you have fallow, you have munchak. You, you have to, you put how many, how many doe, how many hinds, how many stags, how many um, calves you shot. So there's, there's, there's an average, I reckon, about 55,000 a year being called every year. Yeah, it's a, and the other thing, again, because this is all news to me, uh, because I, I know very little uh, about this, but you have to, it's very hard to get a deer shooting licence, I believe. You have a lot of hoops to jump through, is that right? And anybody starting out, yes, they've got to do, um, you know, if you're, if you're the young person that wants to start doing deer stalking and buy a high-powered rifle, they've got to do the H-cap, um, which is a course. And it's it's yeah, it's a quite a, a, a tough, difficult course to do, and it's expensive. Uh, you also to, to hold any firearm, you have to do a proficiency course. You've got to get um, you've got to get at least a hundred acres of of land to shoot on to, to hunt deer. The license is actually free from the national Park and wildlife. Once you fit uh, all the criteria, you have all the training done. You have that caliber of rifle purchase. That license is free, but um, it, it is quite difficult now for anybody with the last few years to get a, a license for a high-powered rifle. And, and I can understand. I can understand that high-powered mm. rifles are quite, mm, quite course, dangerous. Yes. 
Yes. They're quite dangerous, so I, I have no problem with that. Yeah, and you say, okay, your organisation and all those like it were not consulted. What about landowners? Were they consulted about this, I wonder? Any, any of the landowners that I've spoken to, and I live I live between the Cummers and the Knockmill Downs, and I, and I know quite a lot of landowners. There's huge amounts of quill to ground. No farmer has been, no, no farmer that I know has in West Waterford has uh, been notified or contacted or uh, in, any, in any shape or form. And again, in your experience, particularly over the last few years, Richie, I mean, are we talking about a huge increase in population of deer? Absolutely, it has exploded. And I suppose just go, to go back to farming, in, in our local area, I was talking to the chairman of the local IFA uh, last Monday night in regards to this, and, and they've had no consultation. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know, I find this incredible. And is it a possibility that people from outside of the country would be brought in to, to call the deer? Well, like, when, when we, we're kept in the dark and we're the people, like, I, I call deer for different, for farmers, I've, and I've been shooting deer for just over 30 years now. Um, so it, anything is possible. We have no idea how they're, go, how they're going to do this. And this is the disappointing fact that they're, they're just, yeah, they go to arrive... Um, Shotgun over everybody and just do what they want, and I don't, I don't really know. But to go back to your question about the population of deer, I'd say it's probably gone tenfold in the last wow. ten years. And yeah. what, what about the carcass then? I mean, when, when you, when you shoot a deer, um, yeah. like I presume the market is flooded with venison. Then is that, is that the way it works, or? It, or? It, yeah, it is. There, there is a market there in South, in South Tipperary, but this particular man has stopped buying them with, with, uh, since back in what was the I'd say November when the when the female the hind season opened he was flooded with deer so it, it, the market there is no market probably if there was a a, a a genuine market out there the possibility is that there would be a lot more deer shot another huge problem is the actual deer season and I think the National Park and Wildlife and the ministers the current and the previous ministers have have just ignored it that. You have you have your deer hunt your deer hunting season starts on the first of September. You can shoot stags up to the first of November. So you've got two months to shoot stags. The problem is, I go out on 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 the first of September or the second or the week of starting the first of September. I'm meeting massive amounts of hinds or does. I'm meeting massive amounts, but I can't shoot them. So when November when when November when yeah when when November comes in, you see, you've gone through into the mating season. So all the stags have all their hinds gathered up. They've them all tucked away in uh, areas beside creel to ground where I can't win. And if I went into creel to ground, I would lose my licence. Mm-hmm. I would be prosecuted. So I think I think if, if the deer hunting season is looked at, if they, want to, if they want to really be serious about reducing the population of deer, they've got to go after the breeding, the hinds, and, and, and open the season for the hinds on the 1st of September and leave it run. And, and maybe extended from the 28th of February till probably the end of March, uh, but but they're not looking at that now. Now they're looking at this group, um, uh, an organised group of whoever mm. we don't know, and 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 nominating deer stalkers whom we don't know. I know in Wicklow a number of years ago they brought in the army and they dropped them in on helicopters and all that, and they, they brought out deer on helicopters. That's what they did in Wicklow. I don't know if they're doing that again, but we we're in, we don't know. We're in the dark. You don't know. Just two quick things before I, I, I let you go, Richie. Um, we heard some reports as well yesterday about um, deers being targeted um, by guys with 
archery um, equipment like bows and arrows and uh, the like, but not killing them. So in other words, the deers are suffering. And one person was telling me about, you know, uh, arrows being in deers that he saw and stuff. Is, Is that a reality? I, I'm not aware of it to be that down in, in, in our part of the country. I, I'm not aware of it at all. Right. Okay. No, I haven't. I have never. I haven't. I've never. I've never come across it. I've never come across it. Now I've come across. I've shot deer that had been wounded. You know. Um, you know, had been wounded, wounded, but lived and, and got away. But I've never seen anything with arrows. Or, I've never seen anything like that. All right. And the other thing that came up yesterday as well was the introduction of predators back in to the, the the localities and the, the chap talking to me, Parik Fogarty, I think his name was, he's an ecologist. He was talking about the possibility of wolves and uh, lynx possibly as well. Does that mean anything to you, Richie? Does that... I, I, like, um, I suppose nature was granted. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a conf- conservationist as well as, as a shooter. Hmm. But um, the, the, the thing about introducing um, uh, like the wolves or lynx into that is... You've, you've quite a lot of sheep farmers. Yes, um, yeah. and I'd be, I'd, I'd be, I'd be worried. I'd be worried about the sheep farmers. Um, you know, all, all, all the farmers at the moment are going through a terrible time, and in, in, in particular, the dairy farmers mm. are getting hammered. And again, I think they've been greatly let down by by the minister and by the government. Um, you know, it, they're they're in big trouble, and the people they put a lot. They've invested a lot of money into into buildings and dairy stock and. And all that, and they're they're facing they're going to fa- they're facing really really hard times. So I, I don't think by introducing those uh, types of animals into Ireland, I don't think it'd be effective. I think to to probably cause more more harm than good. All right, Richie, great to talk to you, and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning no to you. Yeah, that's uh, Richie Hickey there. Richie, I'd like, I beg your pardon, Richie. I'd like, yes, I'd, I'd like to wish all the your listeners a very happy Christmas. Um, I, I'm I'm very much I'm I'm within. A, a quarter, a quarter of a mile of, of uh, the border of South Tipperary, and I have a lot of friends in Tipperary and a lot of um, new sports enthusiasts, and, and I support them greatly. And I just want to wish you all a very happy Christmas. Well, many happy returns, Richie, and thank you very much indeed. Uh, Vice Chairman there of Waterford Regional uh, Game Council, 083 311 Let's speak to Jerry Boland now, and Jerry is the founder of Animals uh, Behind Closed Doors. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Nice to talk to you. And good to talk to you as well. You've described these proposals as insane and unnecessary slaughter of hundreds of thousands of innocent deer across the country, Gerry. Um, well, I have. Um, I've read the report. I'm not sure if Richie has read the report. I presume he has, but it's a 27-page report mm. that came out last week. And I was genuinely shocked to read it because there wasn't a single mention in the 27 pages of any alternative methods to um, to culling. So they may well have just called this report or this 14-month strategy that they, it took them 14 months to put together. They may well have called it the um, Irish um, deer culling strategy rather than the Irish deer management strategy because it's clear that all the people on the committee and they subdivided into five sub. Um, subcommittees. It's clear from the word go that alternative methods were not even going to be considered, that this was just a management strategy to find to figure out what is the best way, the most efficient way to cull as many deer as possible. And one of the main problems, of course, Fran, and it was mentioned there by Richie, 
is that um, like he's in the dark, but everyone's in the dark. Nobody knows how many deer are in the country. Like there's never been a, consen- a census done on it. So there's anecdotal evidence, but anecdotal, you don't make policy on anecdotal evidence. You need hard evidence. So when you do- if you don't know what the actual problem is, you can't really solve it properly. So that's one issue. And as, as Richie and you pointed out, 55,000 deer um, were culled last year. So that would suggest that if that isn't going, to, if, if that isn't taking care of the quote-unquote problem, and we can talk about whether it's a problem or not, mm. um, maybe later, mm. if that doesn't take care of it, well, then we're looking at hundreds of thousands of deer being shot over the next few years. It's going to be a complete massacre. They're going to extend the shooting season of deer to nine months. Um, these, these are these are these, these are um, recommendations in the report, which will probably happen. They're going to uh, make it easier for people to get licenses rather than harder. Um, which is going to cause a lot of potential problems in that because the one thing you have to do if you're going out to shoot a deer is you have to shoot a, shoot a dead. Um, because even around where I live, I have heard anecdotal stories in the last number of weeks of deer being shot and wounded and then found three days later. So, wow. you know, this is a big problem. Yeah. And then the other recommendation in the report is that there would be no limit on the number of deer that can be shot by any one individual. So really it's going to be a free-for-all and it's going to be a massacre. And there are alternatives, Fran. But yeah, like, will you talk to I, me I, about some of those, uh, Jerry? What, yeah. what, what well, alternatives like, are there? Well, the first thing I would have to say um, to, to, to just before I, I, I talk about sure. is that yeah. none, of them, none of them are 100%, none of them are foolproof, and none of them individually would solve the problem. Mm. But a package of measures would certainly alleviate the situation and maybe reduce the hysteria. So, for instance, um, there is a deer whistle that is available very cheaply online that's used extensively in America, North American Canada, that you just attach to the bonnet of your car, and the deer can hear it and people can't. So that's going to alert deer. It's not going to stop all deer from coming onto the roads, but it's it's an alert signal. It's an ultrasound signal that deer... And that's, you know, it's a common... So, you know, nobody uses that here, and yet it's used extensively in Canada and North America. I've never even heard um, of it, Jerry. to be honest with you. Yeah, well, yeah. as I say, it's not foolproof. If, if, yeah. if you gave every driver in the, in the country a deer whistle, it's mm. not going to stop accidents happening. Mm. But it's certainly going to be a, a preventative measure. It's going to help. You can also, because there are counties which have definitely got much larger populations of deer and much more difficult to manage, and there are counties that have lower populations. So there can be, a, I know it's difficult, but it's possible if the will was there. It's all, it's possible to relocate some deer from overpopulated areas to un- other populated, to underpopulated areas. You can also, and again, this is problematic, but it can be done in certain circumstances. It's strategic areas um, where deer are coming onto roads and maybe motorways, um, you can put up strategic fencing. I know you can only do that in certain areas, but all of these measures will help. You can also, and I know your listeners will probably shout it at the, at the radio when, when they hear me saying this, but if speed is a big problem. So if you're driving, say, in Donegal or Tipperary, which has a large population mm. of deer, mm. and you're driving through an area at night time where you know there are deer, like, does it not make sense to slow down for those five kilometres rather than flying through at 100 kilometres an hour? Yeah, so, the, the only you thing know, I can I, say is from my own area we come across deer, but it, it's it's hard to know where you will come across them, and it would be over a rather large area, if you know what I mean, uh, Jeremy, Yeah, so. I, I do understand that, and it is a general point yes. I'm making. But I, yes. I, 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 what, I'm, what I'm suggesting is that individuals, rather than and, and screaming and saying that, you know, somebody's going to get killed, well... Mm. 
I'm not saying it's not a problem, but as far as I know, nobody's been killed yet. Um, but, you know, somebody may be killed and that would be a tragedy. But I think people can make decisions themselves to slow down. And then the, the last thing I'd say in relation to alternatives, and again, um, it's, it's not a foolproof and it's not fully developed, but again, it's is, is contraceptives. And I, I myself would have difficulty with um, maybe the use of contraceptives in a wild population. Mm. But nonetheless, if it, if it can be done in a very targeted and controlled way, maybe that is the solution as well. And, and so how, how would you do that? How, well, I mean, you how, do it by, well, you presumably you dart it, you know. Okay. You, right. you, you select an area, you do, it, you do a trial for a start for a couple of years or maybe a year, and you take an area and you do a testing, a trial of it, and you'd use it through darts or through the right. food chain. So you're saying Again, a, a combination of these methods would, would help somewhat. Is that, is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. It, it would definitely alleviate the situation. It wouldn't solve it completely. And, there would, you know, I'd be a fool to say that there isn't an issue because in terms of biodiversity, the deer are causing, are causing a problem. But we're the ones from and I'm sorry to say, who have trampled on nature. We're the ones mm. who have upset the ecological balance. And now there's a problem with the overpopulation of deer. And the first thing we do is we just think, well, how are we going to cull as many of them as we possibly can? There are, 6, 000, there are over 6,000 registered shooters in the country. So they're probably all going to be used. Probably um, different marksmen mm. are going to be, and marksmen are going to be brought in. But it, 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 it's, it's beyond comprehension to me, to be quite honest with you, that for 14 months a committee can sit down and not even have, have a... Well, maybe they had a conversation over a coffee about alternative methods. And, just, and so mm. that's my main point, is that it, yeah. it's a completely missed opportunity. Yeah, I think they're responding to, as you say, I mean, some some, some politicians bringing it up in the Doyle, even. Uh, I know our own Matthew McGrath certainly did. Um, that, it, that it is a huge issue for local areas and maybe it's a response to to that in some how qualified is that committee by the way I know the chair is is Teddy Cashman but I don't know anything else about the the makeup of that committee well I'm not qualified to talk about them they're people from you know different um, lobby groups sorry special interest groups or whatever right. maybe I'm not sure if there was an animal welfare organisation involved in it I very much doubt it yeah. um, so I'm not I'm, I'm not questioning you know their their ability to put together a report. What I'm questioning is the fact that they didn't even consider alternative methods because, you know, we're living in a world where we, mm. should, we shouldn't just be automatically taking out the gun to solve a problem. Right. We should be looking at, you know, these are beautiful animals, like all animals are beautiful. But shouldn't but we, you see, we should have started this years ago, Jerry. I mean, now it is a huge problem and it's something drastic that they feel is needed, so... Uh, yeah, you know, whereas what you're putting forward would take some time, well, quite a lot of time, in fact, to be effective. Well, it wouldn't take that. Well, I also think that the situation is exaggerated. I genuinely do. Do if you? We're, if we're calling, I do, because if we're calling already 55,000 deer, which doesn't include the deer that are shot by poachers and doesn't include the deer that are killed in, 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 in the accident, we're talking about far more than 55,000. You know, like, probably the figure is more around 65 or 70,000. That's just a guess. So... You know, mm. I would say there are certain counties that have a lot of deer and um, there are other counties that don't have as many. And I do think there's a bit of hysteria going on. It's a little bit like when, when the, the, the fishermen were shooting seals. There was a hysteria going on that all the, the seals were, were eating all the, um, all the salmon, etc., and mm. all the fish. And it was completely exaggerated. And um, it, there's a, there, there is, I'm afraid, in Ireland and in other countries as well, 
there's a rush to cull, a rush to kill, rather than looking for alternatives. These are beautiful, gentle animals, you know, that don't do any harm to anyone except the east saplings of, of trees, etc. And yeah. we can find ways around that if we have the will and if we have the compassion, I would say. Yeah, well, I, I have to hold my hands up here. I won't be one of the people wielding a gun for these creatures. I, I couldn't do it, to be honest with you, and I don't know how people do, but they do, and that's that's all fine and very well, uh, too. When will we know more about this, or, or have you any idea um, in terms well, of the, the detail? The report, well, the report was published last week, so I presume it'll be signed off by the department and then I presume sometime early in the new year, you know, like there are five subcommittees and yeah. they're dealing with different aspects of it and one of the aspects is, you know, what to do with all the all the, the deer. So there's going to be a large education campaign, I would imagine, to try and get people to eat venison so we're going to have, you know, um, we're going to have more eating more meat rather than less meat than we should be eating. There are so many things wrong with this report. It mm. just... So and, and just quickly before I let you go, how would you feel about it? It's just we had a very interesting discussion on it uh, yesterday and a discussion without hysterics because it normally causes hysterics. Uh, the introduction of predators so that you'd have a natural, I suppose, solution to this in some way. How, how would you well, feel about that? Well, that is a long-term solution. Like that, I wouldn't be in favour of introducing wolves into Ireland at the moment because... The country, you we're not like some large European countries that have huge national parks, etc., etc. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's not really feasible in Ireland, Fran, at the moment. I do think that in the future, it is, mm. um, and it's something that could be looked towards when we develop more and more national parks. Mm. But at the moment, I don't think it's a it's a viable solution. Mm. Um, so we might like when the, like what, what I would say. I know you have to go now. No what I would say is that. What, what, when there's an overpopulation of, of a wild animal, the, that population deals with that overpopulation, and usually in pretty horrible ways, like myxomatosis with rabbits, etc. Mm, so, yeah. but that's nature. Do you know what I mean? Nature is wild and it's savage, and it. I don't think we should be interfering as much as we do, and because when we interfere, we mess the balance up completely, and then we take out the guns to sort out the problem we've created. All right, Jerry. Always good to talk to you, and uh, happy Christmas to you, Jerry. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Thank How about you. you now, Jerry Boland, there, who's the founder of the Animals Behind Closed Doors, eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. The text and WhatsApp is zero eight three three double one double three eight double one. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie All right, a big uh, response to our last uh, two callers. I will get around to reading out some of those in just a little while, but how jealous am I? Hello to Anne Cleary, who is chilling in the sun in Lanzarote while listening to the show. Ah, Anne. Ah, really. Oh, Three three double one, double three double one. Now on the program yesterday, we heard from Councillor Siobhan Ambrose, and uh, she spoke about the preferred route for the upgrade of the N24 between Care and Waterford. That that particular aspect of it will finally be announced uh, next month. Now, as you know, it's been deferred on a number of occasions. But I'm glad to be joined now by Deputy Matty McGrath. Good morning to you, Matty. Good morning, friend. You have some more information I'm- on this, Matty. Well, I've been trying for some time now to get um, information on the type of carriageway that they're going to build. Yes. Because landowners in the, in the, tip, in the junction to care section have been telling me that their understanding is, from their engagement with the consultants, that it's going to be a single carriageway. Mm. 
and I'm quite appalled this morning to find out at her meeting or briefing with uh, from Marcus O'Connor and met uh, with, with two meetings a year with the council officials, plus the Rockets members, that it is indeed going to be a single carriageway using uh, probably a large extensive parts of the existing dead trap road. And I think this is a shocking situation because we have consultants looking at this. There's tens of millions of pounds, euros being spent in these consultants. Indeed, this finally, this last engagement widened the study area to five different routes and the amount of angst and the amount of time wasted that was going on and the waste of taxpayers' money now at this stage. If I've been told it's government policy now, NIFTY is, is the acronym for the, 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 the people that are that are discussing it, mm. uh, and and the uh, sorry that are dictating this, that it's going to be a single carriageway. Like, are we going but back? That's to not future proofing it, Matty, is it? Sorry, that's not future proofing it at all, is it? So look, it's going back to the Austin days, and and look, we ha- we have an independent report quite recently. I raised this in the Dáil, as of other TDs about different roads, where statistics have been projected, which is shocking and frightening, but uh, they're very real. That there will be fatalities, that there will be large amounts of serious injuries uh, on this road if it's not upgraded to a proper a proper road. Just think about it when you drive that road mm. often enough. So do I. They're saying there's not enough of traffic on it, which is pure nonsense. This is more greenwashing and more... It is the, the green policy, like, it's just, the sooner this government out of office, the better, because the greens have the title for nuts. We can't do anything. And and, and if we're doing this project now, it's going to be a single carriageway, and it's going to be used the last parts of the existing dead trap road, as I call it. We've had two fatalities on that road this year, numerous injuries and, and, and numerous delays and accidents, you know, was you see the, the results when you drive the road, you see the barriers knocked and fences knocked. And think that they would even contemplate building mm. single carriageway roads. And now, I had, this is it going to be a motorway or is it going to be dual carriageway? But I, I, I had no idea the answer before I got it, but I mean, to think that it would be a single carriageway, it's, it's, it's just... But I, I was wondering why they were investing in extensive roadworks outside of Caricature at the moment. So are you saying to me that that will be incorporated in some way? Is that why that's happening? Possibly. Possibly. We don't know. I mean, this is the first time I've been told officially that it's going to be a single carriageway. But, but, but what I'm really, that's just not acceptable, first of all, going forward. But, but what I really know about is the amount of, uh, you know, the study area, the amount of yeah. annoyance and, 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 and waste of money and annoyance to families and people. Nobody can build anything inside that study area yeah. uh, for the last several years. It's not even an extension to a cattle shed if you're in the study area. And it's not for nothing. I mean, we, we had to fight in last year, early past of the year, to get a couple of men to keep the town men to care what uh, a consultant's part of going. And we got that money. It was a big push. But this money seems to be, it, it seems to be a whole new industry now, consultants, and, and doing all this. And we're back to, to literally widening the road that we had, that we already have. So it's, it's just, I, I just can't believe it. And have you any indication of a timescale on this? Because my understanding is that the uh, Limerick Junction aspect of this is in a phase ahead of the the, the one from Carrot to Waterford. Just a slight, probably six months ahead of it, but again, they were all... Oh, is that all? I thought it would have been years ahead because it's in, in a phase. No, 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 they just, just slipped behind because the money wasn't provided early last year. It was behind at any stage, uh, a couple of months, but it slipped back further because there was delays in getting the, 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 the adequate funding to keep the consultants engaged in the project, albeit they're the same uh, consultant company. But look, look, I mean, 
the whole money in consultants. <laughs> so then we must go to board Panola, and that and can happen is, you know, people can challenge that, and and it could go on for copious years. So I don't know why we couldn't do it. As we are going to have, we couldn't have made safe as we have done in the past. We've done schemes in that same 24 different paths, but you know, minutes mm. was safer than it was. But think that after all the time and all the years and all the decades and all the angst and excitement, we're going to be back to a horse and calf road. Is what I call it. And uh, Siobhan was telling me yesterday the preferred route, so it will finally be announced next month. So have you had a look at this preferred route, Matthew? <laughs> no, I haven't, I haven't, but we know the route now. Because it obviously has to be adjacent to the... To the, to the, the existing road. road. So if they're going to use that, that's that road, so it has to be that route. That's, 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 that's the nearest one to, to, to that route. So look, we know it before, waiting for, waiting for the announcement in January, we know it now. So it's the, it's the one that's nearest to that, using the last parts of this road as existing. Right. And uh, do you, have you any idea, have landowners or householders, uh, have they been informed officially, yes, no? No, other than that, from the tip, from the limit junction to the yes, cave, yeah, yeah. that has been engaged with, with landlords. Indeed, they have told me a number of landlords that they've been with us, the consultants. I think this is only a, a single carriageway road. Uh, they haven't been told clearly that, but now, you know I mean, they, they knew, I suppose, by the amount of land they were looking at or looking to deal with or eventually maybe have a CPO, some of them. But look, some landlords will be happy, but I think in, in 2024, around the corner that, to, to, to even contemplate building this. But it's not only this project now, but many other projects that are doing it's the same story because of, 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 of the green. Yeah, well, we saw we and, saw in Adair where, you know, if the will is there, you, these projects can be speeded up, Matty, you know? Yeah, actually, we lost out there a couple of years ago. We lost out when this cabinet decided to, uh, to Minister Ross's time was yeah. Minister when they, they, they went ahead with the, to get priority to the, to the road from Limerick to, to Cork. Cork yeah. And again, there was a suggestion at that time if they wanted to be so conservative energy, there was a very good proposal that people had come to me with Mello and I brought it to the table that they would use the road from MA8 and, and, and come on to the come on to the come on to the care yes. and double yeah. use that road because instead of going to Cork's this new major road uh, that they would come on they would do the road from Limerick to, to care to Cork Breda and then they go left for Dublin or right yes. for Cork and that made, made financial sense at the time as well didn't it? it yeah. made financial sense it made yeah. emissions sense it made um, it, time journey was very very little the, time, the, the extra time and, and they told us that the MA is only at about 60% of capacity so it could take the capacity, but here we are. That didn't happen. So now we're back down to widening the N24 after all the, as I said, the waste of millions and tens yes. of millions on, on consultants. And as I said, the angst and the delay in people's lives moving forward to build houses or whatever. In the whole, they had a five. Five carriers were uh, five pro- uh, look, uh, proposed routes looked at this time from between Limerick and, and Kia. Five different. Whereas 10 years ago, it was just three uh, routes, okay. but they looked at five, if you wouldn't mind, and widened the whole study area. But the country now has been literally hijacked. You can't do anything with consultants. You can't handle it. You have a tooth pulled in the agency with their consultants' reports. And okay. Everything is. And this sort of money goes on. All right. Can I, can I bring you into the conversation we've been having for the last couple of de- uh, days as well, Matty? And I know it's something that's close to your heart, the issue with yeah. the, uh, the deers. Um, how, how are you feeling about that strategy group and what they've put forward by way of dealing with this in some way? 
I think again, it's 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 it's, it's unwieldy and it, it's a delicate process. We need a massive cull of deals because there has been no cull really since COVID doing wise, and it's just an epidemic. And I'm glad that Tipperary at least is in the study area because around your own area in Dundrum, mm, yeah. around my area here, like, I'm meeting deals on roads now that I would never have seen a deal. The road between Slovene and Aspinan, you know, and big books like, like hitting a book deer with a car is like hitting a, a big horse. You know, they're, they're so big. So many injuries and so much, so much damage to property. And in so much damage, um, you know, I know farmers, they have seen 25 deals inside their yards eating the meal out of the cattle trucks. Like, they're hungry. And they are being cooked. So many of them have been moved out. But they're, 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 we need a major call. So I, that's the problem with these things nowadays. It's so delicate and you're pussyfooting around it. You're really not dealing with the problem. Yes, and Jer- Jerry Boland of Animals Behind Closed Doors, I was speaking to him there just a, a little while ago, Matty, and he he yes. said that it's possible that the whole thing is exaggerated in some way, that it's not as big a problem. Because there's 55,000 deer shot every year, um, it's not as big a problem as we're making out. Well, I asked Jerry Bowden to come down to South Tipperary or West Tipperary or West Waterford any, any, any evening like it does in Stone and Seas. And that's big the problem is. And the road road to Melder, he is killed on that road mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. The damage to cars must be must shocking. And it's just not fair on people because if a deer jumps out from a high ditch on top of a car, a person could be killed because they're such heavy animals. And they're so agile and they're so, they're so active. They just, they just pounce like... Uh, fastly and 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 um, I see the road from Newcastle to Capricorn. Either of the roads, it's it's, it's kind of a, like driving bumpers now. You just meander around the deal on that road this time of year, and especially you know, in the rushing season, they're quite dangerous too because the, the mm. people have been injured and attacked. So it's, it's an issue that must be dealt with, not just semantics. And well, and, and have you any extra information on it, Matty? Like who will do the culling? Because we spoke to somebody from the regional game council saying there was no contact made with them at any point and no land owners were spoken to uh, ahead oh, of the no. strategy being being published. But, but this is what happens around our little country uh, nowadays. They have all these study groups, consulting groups, focus groups, and they never focus and talk to the people. I mean, I, I heard someone yesterday that people were tired of being sadistic and homeless and being, being consulted, that there have been consultants of issues going on about them, but they never consulted the people affected. So you have to have land, landowners buying in, you have to farmers, and you have to have the excellent game good clubs mm. who are willing and already willing to do this for years but there's issues that in places they can't do because we need to have vast areas of land leased to people and it's, it's it's not simple anymore but I mean we need a massive call and and and, and the game the, I couldn't see that happening without the good clubs uh, the game clubs being involved these are people that know the terrain know the safety they have licenses already and, and know, know know how to do this. And there is a big demand for, for venison, as we know. So, look, we need to get out here and, and, and save the people for once. And I'd be talking about saving the planet and saving everything else because, as you also pointed out, that huge damage to, to trees mm. and plantations mm. and, and, indeed, hedges of people's property because they're hungry and they're, they're skin in the trees and they're, 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 they're just a uh, general nuisance and nice animals to look at. Lovely to see them out there, but the, 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 mm. the cold needs to take place in the series. And again, uh, something that we heard on the programme yesterday, how did that, that notion of introducing predators into the into the mix. How how would you feel about that, Matty? Well, again, you consult the farmers and people are trying to live and, yeah. re- and have animals. So yeah. we have a situation at the moment that you refer to just the daiquiri, like the dead animals. Yeah. I was in in, 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 in the golden outside and I had for people dead animals and they can't be moved. And the alternative history was given to the daiquiris 
bring the animal to, to extend the limit. There is a limit restriction that how far they can bring um, the, the, the dead animal. They're told to bring the dairy. Imagine the cost of bringing them up to yeah. dairy and the, the round trip. So there's no giant up thinking. And, and the, the minister said he didn't want to get involved in that, in fact. He, he and he also it. said yeah. something that, that I raised it to the dog initially. He also said, Famous get a license to bury. You cannot get a license to bury yeah, full so stop. He should know that. Could I just have one, one sure. brief word about yep. our good friend and your good friend? I know he was on Cabernet with James Martin, maybe mm. you as well. The late, great Jonathan Erwin, oh, a wonderful visionary, and he'll be laid to rest tomorrow in, yeah, in, yeah. in, in County Wicklow. But Jonathan was an inspirational businessman, but he really focused mm. on sick children, the Jack and Jill charity that he set up with his wife, Tipperary, born um, Marianne O'Brien, mm. was a formidable couple. but Jonathan was so passionate, dedicated, mm. so, uh, you know, gave it her all uh, for, for sick children because he had experienced it himself. And rather than lamenting and crying, he walked positively, sitting up to Jack and Jill, and they do tremendous work in a limited number of nurses. Great value for money. There's no big yeah. CEOs and all this in that company. And could I also say he got involved, and I helped him on it, a project for the prisoners in Castlereagh, a horse project, as you know, he was involved in the yeah, equine. So he got, that over the, he got that over the line. Uh, a horse project, and he won. And actually, that project got an international award recently. But that would that was Jonathan's brainchild. He pushed it. He fought for it. He was in the house more times, meeting ministers, and got that over the line. That, that the horse therapy for prisoners, you know, and, and the, knowing how to ha- handle horses and deal and sorry, care for them, mm. and showing them everything else. It's a wonderful project. Yeah. So he, he, was a, he, was, he was a wonderful man indeed. Just briefly before I let you go, and we also made reference to it uh, yesterday as well as the introduction of that extra vat for farmers on machinery and uh, the like. I, I I saw you speaking about it in the, in, in the the Doyle to uh, that was a great surprise to a lot of farmers out there who borrowed to, uh, to, for machinery and farmers have projections and, and equipment just mainly it's mainly around the construction and, and to get better animal husbandry building new um, uh, 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 houses building putting in new farm uh, machines putting in new bolt tanks and and uh, the feed the feed uh, tanks as well the stores and they made projections they got builders in they did the work they got the planning person on the on the, 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 the understanding that they, they were unregistered for that but they would get back to 23 percent that's nearly a quarter of a 200,000 yeah. projects it would be 50 48,000 something so this is scandal that there is stroke of a pin revenue could sorry this is disallowed from now on like farmers are under a savage attack from so many fronts now from the environment environment interest telling them they're just blaming it for the, the, the pollution and then the bad weather this year the poor prices the, the fact that monopolies in the in, in the in the meat industry and everything else but this is a complete breach of trust this is a scheme that's been operating with 20 years or more, uh, where not unregistered farmers, not registered vet now I'm talking about, some of the biggest farmers would yeah. be registered vet, but, but not many. But this scheme was there, and people bought it in good faith, and they pulled the roof under the cap, they pulled the, the cap under them like this. Yeah. Totally unacceptable. We, we got a big response to that. A listener wants to know, will you bring it up at the, the state of the road uh, the, near the apple farm there outside of Kerry? Yeah. I brought that up and tell the listener every time I pass it, I, I, I take up the phone nearly and ring the counter. Yeah. We can't touch it. It's TII. Did yeah. you ever hear such baloney that he can't? The weather will be killed because if we get frost there and bad weather there, that will go into treads altogether. There's about 150 yards of it now where you'd have to drive inside it 
are out near the white line to advise it. And people don't, they don't told them as they can. And, and the council tell you, we can't touch because the TRI have to give us permission. Did you ever see the beach in all your life? I mean, you couldn't, nobody believed this. All right, well, for, for the listener, will you, will you bring it up again because it's a very Of course I will. And right. I know that my daughter, Council Maury, is on about it regularly and other public right. reps. And I think that uh, with the same situation with speed limits at, 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 at showerings, they increased the speed limit here before the junction. Deputy Cadden myself brought Councillor Keelan Broken and Richie Mirai up to Dublin to meet the TII two and a half years ago, and they couldn't, we couldn't even get a sign change because the TII, and the same way in the Cadden sure, they moved the 50 kilometre uh, in closer to the those yeah, estates in the Cadden and sure, it's lunacy. All right, Matty, I must, I must leave it there, but happy Christmas to you if I don't get to talk to you, Matty. Take it easy. I was in Spain, I was in Spain, and enjoy your dancing and your musicians playing with Muriel and Fran, and I might see you in gold, and you never know to we Ah, you'd be welcome, you'd be welcome. Gurmila Mahagod, thanks, thanks, Matty. Thank you, bye-bye to you now. News and information's on the way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Just some of your correspondence with us and it all seems to be about deer and the culling of deer and all of that. Uh, one listener says, on the culling of deer matter, Fran, if the forests weren't all cut down instead of being thinned out, uh, they wouldn't be running down to the roads for sanctuary from heavy machinery, cutting away all of their habitats, as one of our listeners. Um, let me see. A deer cull is the only answer. Fresh venison is beautiful, especially with red wine or Guinness. There you go. There's a very posh listener. Um, the meat... Uh, should also be made available to the public or donated to the Capuchin uh, Centre for people to avail of in the cities and towns across the county as well. Uh, somebody is saying your guest never addressed the problem of deer and road traffic accidents. That was Jerry Boland, I think I was talking about. And uh, myxomatosis is not natural in rabbits. It's the cruelest form of control of animals uh, imaginable. I thought he made that point, though. Um, now, maybe it got a little confusing uh, along the way. Anyway, loads more in on that, but it is time for our panel and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Sinn Féin Councillor Tony Black is with us. Lena Ryan is back with us again, community activist, and Noel Buckley former secondary school teacher and indeed community activist as well. You're all very welcome and thank you uh, for coming in to us today. Can I stay with that culling? Uh, because that decision to cull deer based on recommendations of a report that highlights the negative impacts of their growing population. The culling aims to address biodiversity and farm management issues caused by the uh, increase in the population. Now opinions need to say divided, with some viewing it as being uh, a necessary measure while others consider it to be unnecessarily cruel. Uh, Noel, can I start with you uh, on that? Deer culling, is it necessary? It's, it certainly is, especially with our existing practice and, and most people who live near forests will tell you they're f- further and further encroaching into farmland, into people's back gardens at this stage, even here in Clonmel and towns around where there's forests nearby. And I suppose uh, part of the problem is even the way we plant forests. We're planting our spruce forests, so there's no vegetation grows in a spruce forest. So deer have nothing to graze in in there other than have shelter and right, hide away. And that, that's not natural to grow here, I, spruce, is it? Pardon? That's not natural to grow here, is it? Spruce? Well, our, um, uh, in, in terms of, like, the vegeta- there's no vegetation on the ground okay. underneath. 
so uh, you have nothing for the deer to graze on. So that's why they're travelling out to people's back gardens and out into farmers' fields and into farmers' yards and on roadsides to get food. The, sh- the forest is providing a shelter. You'll find in other countries, for instance, uh, even if they are planting spruce, they would leave um, certain spaces within the forest where vegetation can grow. So it pulls the deer in that direction. But also, historically, uh, nature and biodiversity, which we hear a lot of now, nature always strives to achieve a balance mm. and, and, and live in harmony. And you have various predators and species that live in harmony with each other. But in Ireland, we got rid of the wolf, who was the natural predator of the deer. Or in, in some European countries, they have the lynx cat. Mm. And really what they did is they, they, they didn't kill all the deer. But they took out, I mean, if you're chasing something and trying to kill it, you're going to try mm. and take out the most vulnerable, the one you can bring down. So the natural so balance of natural things. Natural balance. And yeah. it actually kept the deer population healthy. And when you, we, we, we know from COVID, from research done, uh, with the removal of biodiversity and the increase in the bat population in China, mm. that mm. it led to the COVID um, virus mm. jumping the chain into the human. So mm. the scientists are now telling us the more we reduce biodiversity, the, the greater the threat to ourselves mm. because we're No, of course farmers would be very against the idea of introducing predators needless to say because they probably would attack sheep for example and other animals as well so well I mean in other countries uh, wolves and, mm. and, and and deer live perfectly in harmony mm. why would you go out looking for sheep when there's plenty of food well, in the well they've introduced uh, the predators in France I believe yeah. and there's still some difficulties there, there is, but yeah, I guess but it will take some you look at yeah. you look at, um, you look at um, Owen Dalton and the work he's done down in the west, west mm. Cork there on on, Bear, on on the Beira Peninsula where he has let a forest naturally regenerate and, and the works. But part of the problem he had to deal with was he had to put a fence around it to keep out the deer uh, uh-huh. and the wild goats because they destroy all the vegetation. So literally he hasn't planted a forest, it just regenerates. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. Tony, you were saying that you've come across deer on the, the roads well, it can be very dangerous, yeah? Yeah, it can. Um, I travel... Um, from Clamel to Tiberi Town every day from working in Abbott mm. and at night when I work in the evening shift you'd be coming back maybe around 2 o'clock in the morning and on fair occasions you'd see the deer coming down um, on that stretch of road we'd say just um, as you come out of care heading to Bansha oh, before right. the first yes. turn in the bend or bend in the road and yeah on a fair few occasions I've had close calls with deer and you'd be fairly conscious then you, the first chance you get to pull in you know there's two or three other guys coming behind you from the same job yeah. So you pull in ring, let them know, look, be careful coming along this stretch so here. The notion of culling you you think is necessary, do you? I do. I think I think you, you really do have to consider management properly um when, when it comes to the deer. Um from that perspective and from, as Noel said, um a biodiversity aspect. Um I don't know about the reintroduction of the wolf. I wouldn't fancy a walk up the Rocket Horov and <laughs> you know the chance encounter with a wolf, but um look, as you said, there are no natural predators to keep the, the deer population in check. Uh, that is an issue, I suppose. But um yeah, yeah, from a road safety perspective especially, I know Martin Brown raised it recently as an issue um in in, in Tipperary and um I suppose there has been calls for, um, mm. you know, emergency teams to set up regarding yeah. the deer management. Yeah, in but Tipperary, it seems the there's very little consultation with the with, with the hunters and the stalkers out there, which I found rather strange indeed. Uh, Lena, what what about you? On the, what about your area? Do you do you have issues? Well, like well I mean, we did at the bottom, the Knockmill Downs and in the Great yeah. the Great Tahine Road.
road and, and that and yeah. on the, the main road, the main Arfin Lahine Road as well. Mm. Uh, they're a beautiful animal Gorgeous. and I think this is, call is necessary but it's yeah. a temporary solution to a permanent problem. It's going to Good be point. going on, you know, and we're we're again we're reactive instead of proactive. Like there's lots of ways we can do. We have stopped all country pursuits, as they're called, mm. hunting and shooting. There's so many restrictions on it. That was a natural way of calling. Now that's it's out of, out of the way now. But also, I think that the thing that is forgotten is, uh, like Tony alluded to, uh, they're all our trees are gone. But also, uh, deers have a natural pathway. They like they migrate from one place to the other. And if you're talking, I'm talking about my own area. They come down through Greig across. Um, up over Ballyluby uh, and then up onto the Galtee Mountains. That's the cross, and that's where all the accidents are happening. But we have, we have. There's no trees to stop them. They're they're fiercely beautiful and mm, mm. speedy animals. They're gorgeous. Mm. But there's nothing to stop. There's no trees. There's no growth. There's no ditches. There's no uh, dikes to stop them. So they're just flying at a hundred miles an hour. So we have created a problem. Yes. Man has, cre- and there we're now getting from with my animal welfare head on. We're now co- to call all the animals but we called 60,000 last year and we still have the problem again this year like mm. like the, the speaker you had on earlier who said there's a, a range of issues measures that need to be I hadn't heard of the whistle in the car yeah I hadn't heard about which that which I think either. is a great yeah. one especially yeah, for motorists it's a silent uh, and uh, it's like the yeah. dog whistle yeah. isn't it yeah. you know, I thought that was a good one also having designated areas in our forest like if you if you walk on the Galtes and the Knockmill Downs mm. there's very very few trees the one place that really irritates me is the wood road there was fabulous trees there and I know trees grow old and they're dangerous Mm -hmm. but it's not when we're cutting down the trees we should be replanting it's years and years ago so we have created but nature does balance itself Mm. Um, so a range of measures is what we yeah, need. I was very surprised to read as well, Noel, that by comparison to other European countries, Ireland has very little forestry. Really very little forestry. Oh, it has, yeah. Oh, it's very little forestry. But look at, I mean, look at all our, in inverted commas, beautiful mountain ranges mm. from Wicklow to the west of Ireland, down here around South Tip. They're what we call brown deserts. Mm. Uh, if you looked at ancient maps, they were absolutely covered in forest. Mm. We all know the famous poem about Stephen Amon, kind of got mm. animated fast on it. I mean, Stephen Amon was once covered in oak forest, but the English stripped our forests here and for the shipping. When mm. London was burned down, the Great Fire, there was a massive stripping of forest, and they were all, all natural, natural grounds for deer to exist in because vegetation grew underneath. They provided food for the local communities. Mm. And, and so on. So, again, we've created a problem. And mm. um, we wonder about water runoff. Like a tree mm. is capable of holding 600 <laughs> gallons of water. Tree holds 600 wow. gallons of water. So in an age where we're going to have increased moisture, increased rainfall, it is becoming more and more vital mm. to plant trees to slow yes, down we the want runoff to build, into We rivers. want to build more houses as well. And, of yeah. course, uh, this is a knock-on effect if you have flood areas and all that. Yeah, and but, but as well as that, uh, I mean, part of the future policy in terms of sustainability is to build houses that are sustainable. So there's going to be greater use of timber in them uh, rather than concrete, which mm. is a, a very unsustainable product and a very expensive product to produce produce. So you are going to need more wood and the problem with planning in this country as I see it is people only think in terms of the next election and mm. I hear Matty in a previ- in an interview earlier on going on about the Greens as if the Greens were the red flag. I always get worried when somebody is pointing a finger and looking for a scapegoat. He's avoiding the real issue. The real issue in this country is we're not 
planning 50, 100 years ahead. Mm. And the one thing the Greens are calling us on to do, and I'm not standing up and I'm not a spokesperson for the Greens, but a lot of what they're saying is common sense. It's like what Leah, Leah said about when you're cutting down trees, it's not you don't go planting in, you're planting 20, 30 years ahead knowing I'm going to be taking that line away mm. uh, in Yes, in, I, I, I think it, for, for an awful lot of people, the issue with the Greens is this so-called just transition mm. isn't all that just in terms of well, how people are looking at it. Well, I suppose, you know? Uh, you know, we are, I'm an ex-history teacher and would have studied historical shifts and right now we're living through a major historical shift or what they call a paradigm shift um, like if you look at it, pre the industrial and agricultural revolution, people had lived that way for seven or eight hundred years. And in the space of a hundred years, their lives were literally mm. turned upside down. And there's always upheaval when there's a major shift. And the Greens are not responsible for the upheaval. Uh, the way we've been treating this planet, the human beings are responsible for it, that we now re- need to readjust how we use energy in this world and use it in a sustainable right. way. And be- because we're talking about the Greens now, let, let, let us shift then to, to COP28. What, what are you making, Tony, of what you've heard from uh, COP28? I mean, did, did, you, did you get any sort of um, any message out of that that would lead you to believe that maybe that will improve things drastically over the next while? No, I suppose when you look at it, it's, it's nice to be um, hopeful. Mm. And it's nice to think that we're going to take action on a proper scale to address issues, as Noel said, that we've had for generations. Mm. Well, maybe not generations, but for a long time. Um, but I suppose, look, action is what's needed. Mm. And, you know, until it's great to have conventions and to have things mm. like this and to come up with these plans. But in principle, until they're actually implemented, we're not going to see any real any real change. Mm. And, and, and do you think, did you... I mean, I just saw the original draft uh, that was, you know, dismissed uh, and then they went back and they spent a lot of extra time to to get the semantics and the wording of it uh, right. But at the end of the day, I wonder, will it mean anything in the the years to come, do you think? Or is it just a talking shop that resulted in a document? Well, the fear is, I suppose, like we've seen time and time again, be it environment or be it other issues, that... Oftentimes it is a talking shop. It's, mm. it's, it's to be seen to do something in the immediate and a reaction to situations mm. we find ourselves in. And I don't know if we're going to see an actual meaningful change come out of something like this, but it, mm. it, I, you said talking shop. I'd be mm. inclined to agree that, that that could be what we're looking at yeah. here. Lena, what did you make uh, of it? Or did, is it something you were following, for example? Even well, though, I'm know? not following it as closely as probably I should be, but uh, yeah. I, I do feel it's a talking shop. Uh, I think uh, the environment agenda is um, buzzwords uh, they're, they're, they're not focused it is something that needs to be addressed but addressed in a meaningful way and I feel uh, COP28 is it's do as I do rather than do as I say mm. you know there's nothing that is uh, all of the, the measures that we're, that are being, we're being asked to implement um, for instance you know uh, driving less mm. you know um, mm. and all that they're not practical in it's all urban based. It's easy to say drive less if you have a public transport service. I don't have a public, I can't drive less. For me to get here this morning, I had to drive a car. Mm. I couldn't mm. say to Tony, come from Cash from Town and pick me up and bring. That, that's just not practical. Mm. And I think their policies aren't. That, and that we're, they're trying to change from the end rather from the beginning. That, you know, to um, cart before the horse. The cart, like the they're talking, they've, like, we, we phased out turf, for instance. Mm. No turf in Ireland. Mm. But we're buying turf from Germany and across yeah. the world. Destroying Ireland, destroying jobs, destroying... But also, they're also telling us to use 
a smokeless coal. It's much more expensive. It isn't as effective. And um, to be to, mm. in a lot of people's homes, to be um, environmentally friendly, it's extremely expensive to change your houses. And government themselves are not changing the way they build houses, modern houses, so that they are environmentally friendly. So, it, again, it's, as I say, do as I do rather than do mm. as I say. We had Eamon Ryan, like, recently getting on a supersonic jet to come back to the doll to make a vote to go back to a conference mm. again. Well, it didn't happen in the end, but, 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 but they were, that yeah. was the plan. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. the plan, yeah. Fran. Yeah. You know, uh, but, we, you know, uh, and that that's kind of thing. That's what's his is um finds gets my back up i mean yeah. yes we want to preserve the earth we have a fabulous earth but like if you see the whole of south Tipperary has no trees as tony said when it's 20 years ago we should have been knock two plant or plant three and then they'll be pro- uh, progressed yeah. on that, you know it's interesting i mean the ironic thing i found was the chairperson the sultan uh, you know heading up one of the one of the biggest oil companies and and he spat with mary robinson <laughs> yeah. i found really well, strange I, I mean, where I, he I doubted think, the science i think as irish people we should be very proud of mary robinson because i think mary uh, and mary follows the science and mary has been a great advocate in terms of addressing the issues of climate change for the last 15 years she's not just a new kid on the block and has vast experience mm. internationally on it. And boy did she take your and man she on. she took him on and, uh, and if what was particular she was a female in an Arab world a female yes. doesn't stand yes. up and speak yeah. so she didn't let him back down and she threw a spanner in his works really. Yeah. Uh, now he changed tack after that he but did. I still found it interesting that he doubts the science. Mm. Oh yeah but you see they follow the money. Yeah of you course. Know, follow the money. Money determines what happens yeah. and I think, I think the value of COP22 is like we all want change to happen fast and it's not happening fast enough very Mm. often to address the issue of climate change but the important thing is that we build momentum that it keeps going in the right direction Mm. and I think the significant shift is the uh, introduction of the word we're going to transition away from fossil fuels so that is going to determine financiers are financiers don't look at what I'll spend my money tomorrow they're looking at where is the safe bet to put money 10, 20 years into the future. Mm. And I I attended a climate summit conference in Dublin uh, last May and you had the financial institutions at it and they are now all putting financial packages together uh, because as one of the accountancy firms said, we're getting asked the question, what is this money being invested in? People don't want their money invested in fossil fuels. And Leah said, um, you know, the ordinary person is powerless. The ordinary person isn't powerless. I'll give you an example. I was at our own local credit union, AGM, here on um, Monday, on Wednesday night last. And uh, credit unions have to look at where they invest their money, mm. the surplus money they may have. And I'm, I asked the question, you know, are you asking where you're investing? Is this being invested in an ethical fund? As against, because a lot of money is invested in fossil fuels. Mm. Church of England has withdrawn all its funds, uh, investments from uh, any company associated with fossil fuels. So I think that that's the power. Every uh, mm. there's a lot of people, listeners here, have pensions investments, and it's a question you need to ask because if we can channel the money away from the power mm. of the fossil fuels. But I, I attended the, the funeral of one of my childhood heroes, Father Willie Hayes, mm. uh, in Holy Cross. He, he was laicized. He, he chose to be laicized later on, but he died. But he was the man who restored Holy Cross Abbey. Mm. And I remember meeting him a couple of years ago, and we were talking about community development, and I was ac- acknowledging the huge contribution he made to the development of Holy Cross, not just in terms of the Abbey, but a water scheme and a whole lot. And he, he had an interesting line that has stuck with me ever since. 
and very often people can feel powerless in the face of climate change and he said instead of looking for hope start an action and hope will spring up instead of looking uh, for hope start an action and hope will spring up very interesting and yeah. I think at, at local community level at individual level do an action mm. you know like um, a simple thing if you are living close enough to town you don't have to drive the car into town every day mm. if you have a bicycle say well right I'm going to try and have mm. some of those journeys on my bicycle particularly if I'm not carrying anything and, and what about around. the people who would immediately say to you uh, on that okay that's grand and even if we all did that what about China what yeah. about India yeah. well believe it or not you know, what about the not? UK still giving out yeah. licences I know there? it's crazy you know, in the UK what about what's happening in Alaska they're, they're gone so, they're gone so does it matter if I, dri- if I ride a bicycle it does because uh, you know the power of one uh, I mean people talk Willie Hayes was mad in Holy Cross when he suggested restore the Abbey. I was a young kid at the time listening to fireside conversations. Mm. The guy is mad. Does he not see the ruin of that Abbey? Mm. But uh, and and he inspired others uh, mm. to engage with it. The other thing I'd say to you, I mean, the one good thing, and people give out again about Eamon Ryan and the Greens, but the one positive contribution I, they've made in towns around the countries and in terms of rural links is the rural link bus service. In Clonmel here this week, we have launched mm. the town bus service. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they're all they're all positive. Where the trans- well, what do you say though, Tony? When and and we hear it quite often on this program that all of this is very good and it's good to talk about, and we probably all mm. accept that at the end of the day that the science is the science. But a lot of poorer people tend to pay the price. You were on the same wavelength as me there, and yeah. all. Just like the reality is, it's it's lo- a lovely concept. You talk about renewable energy, you talk about solar panels, you talk about wind turbines, whatever. Using those um, um, those mm. forms of renewable energy, but the reality is, a lot of people are they priced out of it? That's mm. the question we need to ask ourselves: Are people is a plan being presented to allow these people to access these forms of yes. renewable energy? Because the grants are time? great, but if you have to come up with Forty grand yeah. or something for to get another. 40 Where grand, is an know? ordinary yeah. person supposed to get forty thousand euros, or yeah. even a, a more conservative figure of twenty thousand or something? Yeah. Like you know, it's it's huge, huge money that, like in a time where the cost of living has gone through the roof, the price of everything seems mm. to be going up. Mm. You know, how are we going to say right? Here's a situation that we can create where, mm. you know, you can afford to do this. You can afford to install solar panels on your house. Mm. You know, and I, I do I do like the concept of it. I think we should be looking to the renewable energy mm. because it's it's the way forward. But until we have a, a scenario where ordinary people can actually access this yes. without putting themselves into debt, you know, I think we're and, and we're way behind that, the trend. That, uh, obviously, at that point then, people would embrace this. I think, far, of course far, they would. Far, I, think, more, yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. are probably open to the idea and think, see listen to this conversation listen to other conversations around this topic and say it's a fantastic notion I really like it Mm. but I can't afford to do it and I'm going to keep burning coal and I'm going to keep getting a fill of oil and even they're all going up and that's the reality but you know Could I cut in there Liam and and say to you and I think Tony or Tony sorry Tony We'll get get the names (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Tony the the, you know like people know what they're in terms of fossil fuel you have a fair idea of your energy bill in terms of the cost and you're right Mm -hmm. it's a huge cost but I think the government and and governments are starting to look at a scheme where um, that you might put a package together for people um, to say put in the solar panels upgrade the heating system the works and that instead of you now paying out two three grand a year on your fossil fuels that becomes the repayment of the loan we provide for you so your your energy bill might be reduced down to 
four or five hundred a year as against two thousand, two and a half thousand, and that over a lifetime. Right, but that, that's, that that's, that's, not that's not even spoken of. Well, it is being it is being debated to assist like it. That. Yeah, like yeah. there are some there are some households who can afford this. They have the yeah, cash in the pocket, are, yeah. and they should yeah. you know they mm. should be challenged to go ahead and do yeah. it. But uh, and I suppose then you have a whole generation like my own age group in my sixties who would say, "Will I ever see the return of it?" But that's mm. that's looking short sighted because I mean the the auctioneers will tell you the value of a house goes up enormously yeah. if mm. they're selling an A rated yeah, house. Of course it does. And in fairness to government policy now in terms of planning, the planning is all new houses have to be at least B plus or A rated. So in terms of future proofing the housing stock, we're going in the right direction. But there's a lot of our older housing stock for whom, um, and and, and particularly the older the house, the greater the work. I I had a gentleman on yesterday and he was speaking. And, you know, he wasn't being facetious about it. He said, look, all I want to do is I, I want to burn a few sods of turf in, in, in the fire. And here you have a whole gang of people over in Dubai uh, flying in on jets, huge carbon footprint on that. So by comparison, what I'm doing is is a joke, you know. This this is this is why the whole green agenda is is um, is is annoying to people. That as okay, I said earlier, because it seems to be hypocritical in some way at times. Is that is that? Like, it? And we're talk we're talking about like why couldn't this conference have been done by, by Zoom? Zoom? <laughs> no, and, and a much less carbon footprint. And they're yeah. the ones that are talking about. It. And the reason it can't be done in Ireland by Zoom is because we don't once again do not have the infrastructure. We do not have uh, proper broadband. We do not have all that stuff. So they can't. But also it's a jaunt, and it gets like Dubai gets the gets mm. the Dubai, which needs the money spent, gets it by all these dignitaries coming in. But you were talking earlier about the science. Follow the science. You have to find out who's who's funding the science. Mm. You know, you can get you can get an experiment to give you any any result you want or skew it that way. It's a bit like statistics. You can skew them. In, and, and that's the problem, I think. I mean, Mary Robinson has to be commended. Before mm. it ever became a popular issue, she was mm. talking about it and she continued and, and to And do you doubt some of the science uh, that we're hearing about, Lena? Well, I, 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 going back as far as COVID, I definitely doubt, doubt some of the science. And I do. And as I said, you have to follow where who's funding the science. Mm. Like, we had... We had this is a totally offset. We, mm. we got a, a, a virus for, we got a, a vaccine for COVID mm. within six to eight months, mm. but 60 years and we haven't got a, a, a vaccine for cancer. Why? Because mm. the money and the pharmaceuticals, it's the science, it's there, but we're just not getting it because it's not profitable. The finance is deciding it, is deciding where it goes. So I, I do in certain senses, but uh, that's very cynical, mm. you know, mm. but I, I think, you know, we have to, you can't always trust, we have to always question things. It's only mm. by questioning... And, and be allowed to and, do so and as exactly well. Exactly yeah. being allowed yeah. to yeah. do yeah. so. What about that, Noel? We should be allowed to, without being branded as being stupid mm. or, or, or idiotic or something. We should be allowed to Oh, I mean, in a healthy this, democracy, yeah. there should be debate and uh, everything should be challenged. But, uh, I mean, in, in fairness to the science, and I agree with Leah, very often you have to ask, you'll often get these reports, eat this food, it's good for you, but you need to peel back and say, who's funding this piece of research? Yeah, yeah of because course. Because you get what you pay for. But the difference this time is the science, it's universal and it's consensus 
losses right across the board in terms of scientific institutes that are not funded by industry, by big pharma, big oil. I mean, the, the evidence, the, the, the scientific evidence is there. Our planet is going into boiling mm. point. And we, we, I mean, we saw the effect of global action. If you remember back in the 1990s, the hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. And we discovered what was causing that and they decided to ban CFCs. And that hose mm. in there healed and closed faster than even the even scientists were I was surprised to hear lately, that has become an issue again. It has, because yeah. you see, we're, we're constantly pumping pumping new chemical products into yes. the atmosphere. Uh, and, and like you mentioned about the Chinese earlier, but believe it or not, the Chinese are probably going to be ahead of the game at the rate they're putting up solar farms and a whole mm. lot of new technology. But, but they're still mining and they're still they, they opening are, up new mines. They are, but 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 I, they, I think the Chinese are waking up to the fact this is where the future is mm. uh, yeah. in terms of going well, What are you forward. making of the UK? I mean, really? Well, the UK what, what? has gone AWOL. Come on, their government, I mean... I mean, still, <laughs> still, still giving out licences. They are, yeah, yeah. You know. But as I say, as I keep coming back to it, it's it, and and in fairness, the the debate at COP about the just transition year fund, uh, transition fund, what is going to really determine and change this is where the money goes. Mm. So uh, you know, the more we can challenge the, the and and create a scenario where investors want to invest in a green future mm. because they see it as that's where you make money. And, and, like and that's would, where we'll succeed. Who would have predicted it? a number of companies that have been set up in the last four or five years in terms of solar farms, mm. solar panels on mm. roof, um, mm. the, and you can see well, it. And, and we don't have time to discuss that, but huge issues around that as well. What do you do when they're done? Yeah. What, what do you do to get rid of the the the, the wind Panels. farms when 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 they're done? Yeah. I mean, how do you get rid of them? Well, I suppose historically, in your grandparents' time and my grandparents' time, people lived in what was called a circular econo- yeah. circular economy where they reused everything yeah. because things weren't as plentiful. We live we've we've grown up in a society of what I call the waste economy. Yes, disposal. Uh, use, yeah. dispose, throw away. You can see, even see that with clothes. Mm. I was talking to uh, one of the guys emptying a clothes bank out in Marlfield. I said, "How often do you have to empty this?" He said, "Nearly every week." Well. Now think about that. Yeah. And he had a van load of clothes going away. Uh, yeah. Now we would have known growing up that wasn't the way you used clothes. Yes. And it's a symptom of, and we have to come back to that circular economy where we reuse stuff. And, and in fact, well, what I a transition. I mean, how will you stop people from buying? You know, you can go in now and you can buy Start outfits for very small amounts of money. You can, and, and you that's can the problem. Away, and yeah. but, but you are buying them, but at what price? Yes. You know, the slave market that's used to produce those. <laughs> and it, it, All right, it, it let, 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 let me take. Like uh, sorry, Tony. No, just, just to finish on that yeah. point, it's impacted small businesses. It has. You don't see a cobbler's places anymore. You don't no. see a draper's yeah. because people, instead of going and getting your shoes fixed, they go away, they throw them out and they buy a new pair. Well, mm. often it's you cheaper know? to do that, and you it see, is, Tony. That's, and that's, that's, that's part of the well, problem. Well, in fairness, the EU, has passed, waste, yeah. the EU has passed a law now, we say, yeah. in terms of washing machines and a whole lot. The parts have to be cheaper yes. than buying yeah. a machine. And that's the move to the circular economy. Right. OK, let me take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to our Friday panel. Councillor Tony Black is with us, Lena Ryan and Noel Buckley as well. And we move on because the discussion uh, surrounding Shane McGowan's funeral in Nina last week revi- revealed uh, a divide in opinion. Now, while some appreciated the lively boisterous, personalised approach with music and dancing. Others 
I believe that it crossed a line arguing that church services should remain sacred. Additionally, some online comments to ourselves pointed out potential differences in treatment for ordinary individuals as opposed to VIPs. Lena, can I start with you where this is concerned? Did you see much of the funeral? I, I did. I was... Um wasn't a Shane McGowan fan. I liked his music, but I wasn't a Shane McGowan fan. But he's a, he was a talent, one of our prestigious talents. And I thought his send-off was absolutely fantastic from Dublin. And Nina, I have to say, totally proud of Nina and totally proud of the priest that allowed a celebration of the man's life the that priest, reflected yeah. his life. Um, and I, I've obviously everybody has their own opinion on it, but I was very interested that people were saying the church shouldn't have been used that way. Um um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but usually when the the coffin comes in and it's at the at the altar, the priest will go to the pulpit and he'll say, "We're here today to celebrate the life of," and the word I pick there is celebrate the life. Yes. Now, of course, there's there's laughter, there's tears, there's joy, there's sadness. He was a musician, a fabulous musician. All the people did was celebrate, and to say that it was disrespectful in the church, um, and that. I found the exact opposite. I thought mm. a church is a living organism. It's for the people. It was full of people, young, middle-aged and old. And we were celebrating. And it was nothing disrespectful about mm. it. Um, I thought it was it was wonderful. I think more of our churches should be used that way. And for like, there's wonderful acoustics in, in churches. Mm-hmm. Um, our Finn Church was re- recently used uh, this week for kids' plays. Mm. Packed, but you know, a church, our Finn church, I think, can probably hold maybe a thousand people. Uh, our halls can't hold that. Mm, they should mm. be used like that all the time. And anyone that goes into a church is usually very respectful. You can go in there as any denomination. And, um, and so, some of the contributors to the program, and God knows I've seen it myself over the years as well. You know, where so-called ordinary people are concerned, I mean, sometimes you weren't allowed a family member to eulogise. You weren't maybe allowed to use the music that maybe the person wanted at the church. So it seemed to some people that if you're a VIP, you're treated differently in the church in some way. Well, I think it is... It is well, of course you are. And, and like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be really cynical now. Look at the church collection that that would have got for, for Nina. You know, like I've seen a large funeral once where I've never, you don't do a collection usually, no. but that church, that church will be remembered and mm. people will go and visit that church. So long term, the church is, it becomes a more living. I, I don't think so. I mean, my, my mam, Lord Mercer, passed away a number of years ago, but she had a grandson that was, didn't make the funeral, but made her her first anniversary and he's part Maori of New Zealand so he asked could he do the haka the the funeral mm-hmm. haka and thank goodness we had a wonderful priest in, in, in where she was buried but the priest nearly had art because the haka starts with <laughs> and he said oh my god you know what are people going to say but the number yes. of people of my mother's generation who said what was that about like he stood in the middle my, grand, my nephew stood in the middle and he did the funeral haka and he was there's tears rolling down his face that was a celebration that had never been seen in Belly Bacon Church it was in as it happens but, but yeah it, there was a celebration and it was incorporating two um, Traditions, cultures, yes, yes. yes, but which was, and she had been to New Zealand. His culture was so. I yes. think why we're celebrating. We're, it's bringing that brought people together. I'm sure there was people dancing in Nina who didn't really know each other, and maybe there was somebody who was extremely sad who had lost a loved one. There wasn't Shane McGowan, and they thought, oh my goodness, this is lovely. This is this is it's this a celebration, a cele- of, celebration all of, of all of their life of, of a life. Tony, what, what did you make of it? Of course, Jerry Adams' uh, yeah uh, addition to the eulogy was much much applauded. Indeed, yeah, I yeah. think he spoke very well, yeah. um, and. I suppose he 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 really did. I suppose uh, do Shane justice, and you know spoke of his life, and you know I suppose 
the whole I would agree with Lena. Um I think it was a it was a very it was, it was great to see a celebration of mm. someone's life. Like too often I think people and rightly so they do get caught up in the grief of a of a bereavement. But um I think to celebrate someone's life I whenever I go hopefully in the long distant future um, you know I'd like we to long dance in the aisles yeah. Tony right? <laughs> yeah, they might be dancing from celebration friend but I know they're singing friend will be singing um, but no ho- I, I'd like to think that my life would be celebrated like yeah. you know I, I don't want and I'm sure Shane was probably, Shane McGowan might have been the same way he didn't want people to be crying in the church yeah. at his loss yeah. he may have wanted that celebration and I think um, it was fantastic to see well, do, does it set a precedent Tony in other words any parish priest who might be conservative now if Tony Black goes and says, well, uh, my friend is, big, you know, it's his mm. funeral, but he wants, uh, I don't know, Bohemian Rhapsody because that was his favourite. So yeah. it, it, it's going to be very hard now for a priest to say, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I suppose it does set a precedent to a certain extent, but I think with anything, there has to be compromise. You right. know, like, obviously, it's the priest, it's his house, you know, it's his church, and um, he's responsible for what goes on there. And mm. I think if he can find a compromise with the person or the family of the bereaved you know I think you can find, maybe find a happy medium on mm. most occasions yes. like obviously you will have incidents where the family will demand and the priest might might not want to do it mm. but mm. I think I think I, I would hope that the vast majority of incidents you, you'll be able to find a happy happy medium a happy and medium compromise. somewhere along the way no I, I love to try and guess how panellists will react to certain things I, I can't figure you on this one <laughs> thankfully go, go on what, what, what did you make what did you make of the funeral first of all uh, I absolutely loved it I thought coming back to Tony's point and Leah's point it was a celebration of a life and mm. it's a pity it was such a short life but yeah. it was a celebration of his huge art artistic contribution in terms of poetry, song and music. And and that life has touched so many other lives. And uh, for me, I will always remember Fairy Tale in New York because uh, it, it was playing the night I realised the woman I was dancing with, I wanted her as my wife. So it has a very uh, special association yeah. for me. So and, and music touches hearts and souls and spirits of people and it has a universality uh, yeah. Beyond regions and boundaries, mm. uh, it says it goes right around the world um, and and touches hearts. Uh, I, Tony used an interesting line. He said, "It's the priest's house." You know, this is the religion teacher and me, Tony, yeah. but uh, <laughs> who would be familiar with the theology to say, "No, it's not the priest's house. It's the people's it's, house." Yeah. Uh, the, the Great Vatican II meeting in the late early sixties said, "The church is the people of God." Uh, so it's it's the mm. people's house, and if you look at it even historically, you took P- Peter and Paul's church built after the famine here. It was built with the contributions of, of was, ordinary yeah. people as and, they all were, and yeah. labour. My father told me the way above an upper church um, as a twelve-year-old, he helped put stones into the foundation of that church. Mm. Uh, so it's the people's church. But I I see where you're coming from, and I see where you would have experienced some of the commentaries because I've experienced it myself. Ironically, I, I I was writing a liturgy for my uncle this morning. His funeral is tomorrow so oh, I'm sorry to hear um, that, but the the um and I've I've had to deal with clergy and I've often given helps out to families and they often have that problem where one priest is saying how can we help you celebrate this life and you will have other priests saying rigid mm. thinking this yes. and I had that experience mm. myself particularly partic- where music is concerned yeah. I would have come across that non-liturgical with, music yeah, was with just a particular parish priest yeah, I had yeah. that experience with that and Family, one thing we do in Ireland is we do funerals and death very well. Yeah. Uh, as a community, 
in the house when somebody dies the family are literally wrapped in the in the blanket of comfort of the community mm. and the church in fairness does funerals very well and people it's the one time probably people would say I've had a positive experience of funerals apart from the few times and it, uh, unfortunately it's the few individuals that make the headlines priest refused yes. on the other hand I have sympathy for the priest because I, I know in a Dublin situation where a priest was in the church and it was the funeral of two criminals uh, who had been killed in an accident and they were bringing up uh, tools that are trade like a, a screwdriver and a nail and bar weapons, yeah. and yeah, weapons I now that. I think there has to be boundaries uh, because it's a celebration of life and, 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 and theology and religion is all about life and, and the celebration mm. of it but if you have somebody bringing up something Right. That is undermining and taking away Abs- life. Absolutely. Um, but do you think a precedent has been set now? Wouldn't it be very hard for a PP? It would, but in fairness, to... in fairness to most of the clergy, there is a flexibility there. They use their common sense. Like I'll give you an example. Yes, I mean you're ce- you're celebrating a Catholic funeral. It's not a humanistic funeral, so mm. they're right to insist that there be some sacred hymns and and sacred readings. But most priests will facilitate. Uh, you know, if there was a favourite song like my uncle now, one of the ones we'll be using is Sleeve the Man when mm, the coffin has mm. been carried out of the church because he was a great GA fan and mm. a great to prairie man. So, um, but of course the ceremony is finished at yeah, that priests point. Priests are so, flexible yeah, to yeah. say, look, we'll insert that. We'll we'll find a way of inserting it in to meet yes. the family's needs. So that's what you need to address. And oh, it right. is challenging. And yes, Lena, before we People are at a sensitive moment very often and they can be deeply hurt if... Of course they, they, they can. And God listened. knows I've seen it. Yes, yeah. Lena. Yeah, I think also we have to remember that and, and I think priests are very conscious of it as well it's, it's difficult because mm. there can be things but mm. it, an Irish funeral is hugely impactful in the grieving process it is, and yeah. it surrounds the people and the, the church can be the focal mm. point of that sometimes mm. you know so brings uh, people together it brings, mm. yeah but it also you know um, it, the, 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 it, it has to it's, a, it's appropriate that people get the opportunity and priests in their doctrine are sometimes they are um, by their training are, mm. are set apart from the people, so they're not in tune. I think priests need to be more in the community yes. than than isolated, mm. and I think that would change a lot. A lot. For okay, well done. Well, let me just take this final break. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on! You can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. And a welcome back to our Friday panel and Tony, Lena and Noel with us in a studio. Now, we had a big reaction this week to one of our dear Phil letters from a listener who said that she felt guilty that she couldn't bring her children to one of those Santa experiences this year because simply she couldn't afford it. A lot of calls from people who recommended cheap local ways of doing the same thing, but it raised the question of why parents, and let's be honest, mothers, put themselves under pressure to give children what they deem to be the perfect Christmas. And we're just wondering what your take might be on this. Tony, do you want this... Uh, yeah. First of all, this is a letter into our dear Phil Slot. The, the, the kids seem fine, but the mother feels guilty because she sees online these marvellous experiences that cost a fortune. Yeah, I suppose, and that's uh, the world of social media, isn't it? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people feel the need to, I suppose, match what other people in their community are doing, their peers are doing. Like, you know, one parent might see the parent next door or down the road going to Winterville and Waterford or something like that and feel, oh, I have to do that as well. Uh, but as you said, the children aren't the ones... That necessarily want yeah. that, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, last year, um, the, my, my job put on a great 
Christmas party for all the staff to bring their kids to in Merrill Hill Farm and it was free to all the staff um, all the kids got a present got to go to the petting farm and it was you know it was fantastic and it didn't cost us anything well. you know today now after this I'm going down to my, my son's creche for his Christmas for the Christmas party down there and they'll have a Santa there and you know there, there are alternatives to going and spending 20, 30, 40 euros because the reality is a lot of people don't have the 40 euros or the 30 euros at the end of the week and paying all the bills mm. with the rise in the cost of living of course, yeah. you know to put a fill of oil in the tank I know we're not going back onto the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the biodiversity or the, the, the uh, environmental stuff yeah. but um, you know to to put to fill the cupboards to after you pay all your taxes everything you know there are people that are hard pressed to have 20, 30 euros left over to do something like that and it actually brings me back to something years ago from my own childhood that I actually hadn't thought about for years when I was looking at what we were going to speak about I said oh, you know that, that happened and um, a neighbour of ours in Lacey Villas, it got to be good to him now, Michael Heffernan, a great neighbour up there. He came in to the house when I was a young lad and he came in dressed as Santa Claus. And I didn't know, we didn't know who it was. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. came in and like, it was just brilliant. But like, you'll never forget that. No, I'll never forget it. I, I suppose yeah. it had gone to the back of my mind, but yeah. in talking about this, it came back to me that, you know, Santa Claus came and visited our house a couple of days before Christmas when we were wow. kids. And it was, you know, it, memory, it didn't yeah. cost anything, but it was a fantastic thing for a neighbour to do. And, you know, if maybe if, People can get together in their neighbourhoods and do something like of that. Course, where one of the neighbours goes and visits do, the houses. Do that, yeah. in fact. Lena has a mum and stuff. Where, where are you coming from on this? I can understand the mum's um, guilt, feeling guilt because the kids are going into schools and they're all in. But uh, what I would say to that that lady is, yes, great feel. You can do something special at home. Mm. Um, I think today kids get, I must think I really sound old, kids get so much. And I have two wonderful grandchildren and pure joking we used to do it to my, my kids used to do it to my brother we'd give him a ridiculous present one year we we wrapped because he loves the fire we wrapped a log of turf in boxes and boxes and boxes <laughs> and he gave ours what they got great fun of it so I yeah. did it to my oldest granddaughter I got a knob of coal and wrapped it all up now my daughter was horrified but my do- my granddaughter always does something like that for me now so what she thinks about Christmas Eve and Christmas morning thinks, what am I going to give granny that's well, it's great fun yeah. and it didn't it cost me the size of you know yeah, so yeah. you can do but like Tony says, you can do that in your neighbourhood. It's so hard to get neighbourhoods together to do something that isn't. Like, I have to say, um, Belly Bacon Grange Gun Club, they had killed an og for years. Lambert's buses provided the transport from Goatenbridge GA over to the field. They had it all lit up. The whole community got together. COVID, But they used the mountain. They used, they had a live crib there. They had teas and coffees. People bought cakes. It the number of older people and I mean me and older used to go and meet there as well as the kids going to oh, see what, Santa what, what and the experience idea, yeah. and that's the kind of thing what, what about and you? it supports local of course it does yeah what, what about that now well, I, I the pressures totally, of Santa I, well look parents need to grow up and be adults <laughs> Uh, is the first uh, no. thing I'd say. No, but I mean, you create your own <laughs> pressure. You, you're you're captain of your own ship uh, in terms of what you do. The kid will remember the experiences you give, like what Tony said there. They're the things 20, 30 years into yeah. adulthood. They're the thing. Yeah. I had the experience of being Santa Claus to my own kids. Right. I, and a neighbouring family had asked me to go down. Uh, they, they were Germans. Their Christmas was the 8th of December. They provided a Santa Claus suit. So I dressed up outside in the garage. I was out in Kilcash at the time. Went down, did it. When I was coming back up, I said, God, for the crack, I'll knock on the home door. And I knocked. My, my oldest son, who was only three and a half at the time, came to the door. And there was a glass panel on the sign. He looked out and he ran back in. My wife was putting the two 
kid, kids into the bath at the time and he says Santa's outside Santa's outside and the second lad comes out stark naked and <laughs> door, door, door was opened anyway I walked in and uh, my youngest child had just been born she was only two months old and I, it was just magic when they said to me Santa we have a new sister come oh, down and see her and then stop. they brought up the ties and that magical experience and coming back to Leah and Tony's point Santa is an opportunity to bring communities together when very often communities are not connecting any longer and it's the resources are there in your own community yes. what we what and what I meant by parents growing up we've allowed the commercial world to hijack Santa Mm. You know, uh, and, and everything else, and everything else, it, you know. And Easter, I, I Halloween, remember, all I, I've, I've watched young kids at Christmas. What do they get the great fun out of? It's not what's in the box; it's, it's the, the box, box itself. Of course. So yeah. just remember, it's the simple things in life that yeah, are the right. most beautiful. Very good. My thanks to Lena, to Tony, and to Noel. Excellent panel as always, and thank you very much indeed. That's it for me. Le- um, I was going to say Lena produced, Emma produced, <laughs> and uh, Ellie looks after our content. And Stephen's on the way with the time total. I will talk to you on Monday. Enjoy yourselves. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24